we're going to start with B. There's a baby in here. I hear it. <laughs> I hear the baby. He loves the baby. So welcome, everybody. Um, it's, it's with great pleasure. Uh, the President's Report is really fun because there's two great things to celebrate. The first is celebrating the Robbinsville um, uh, Public Schools Educators of the Year. And that is a great privilege um, to announce. Um, how are we doing? And then I think each school, gets, each school is going to okay. introduce and just give a little fun yeah. fact about so if we're the honorees. Are we going to start with Molly? Yeah, let's start with Molly this year. Okay, great. So let's, let's get started. Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing? So, I'm lucky tonight to be able to give out two awards. So, our first award goes to a man who's been in our school district for quite a period of time, but I've only had the last few years had the pleasure of having my building as an instructional assistant for a student with special needs. Greg, come on. So, for those of you who don't know Greg Lerner, this is Greg Lerner. Give me the real. assists doesn't say much at school but every time I walk around the corner Greg's talking to another student or he's talking to a teacher and he gets tapped on the shoulder all the time to be that really great role model for students he knows so many people in this building and he is really what it, what it means to be an educator he's not a teacher in the classroom right but at, in his heart that piece of what it means to, to, to educate a whole child and to be what we need for all students, he epitomizes all those characteristics. So we are proud to have Greg in our building. Greg does have aspirations when he grows up. <laughs> Which will be never. <laughs> and we say that he graduated from high school the same year. I looked on his transfer. I'm like, whoa, okay. So when he, grows, he, he, he really honestly has a desire and a passion to continue his education and become a teacher. Right? And we say that all the time. Well, he'd be a great teacher. A teacher's coming. He would be a wonderful teacher because he connects with students. And he is an unbelievable writer. You can follow him on Twitter. You can read things that he's written. Look at awards that he's gotten from the newspaper. Sports are his thing. So if you look it up. But he is a, a, an amazing man when it comes to the writing aspects. And he is a fan of all kids and all sports. You can see that. He knows more about games than anybody you'd ever want to see. But I follow him on Twitter and I'm like, Greg Lerner, Greg Lerner, Greg Lerner. So it's very interesting and very exciting um, to be able to present this award to Greg as our Educational Service Professional of the Year for Robbinsville High School. The next word goes to um, Angel Delina. She is a teacher in our history department. I had the pleasure of hiring Angel right out of college. So we've watched, which is a wonderful thing in a, in a position as, as a principal, to be able to hire young, young adults and watch them grow into their positions. Angel is a history teacher, but she's also our psychology teacher. And every year I watch what she does with that group of students, mostly seniors in those psychology classes, and watch the numbers grow and more students wanting to be engaged in that study. Angel also is a leader and a risk taker when it comes to things like school initiatives. She is one of our, was one of our early adopters of our positive education initiative. She got it right away. She saw how she could make connections in her classroom. And 
because of that, we rely on her to educate other teachers and to really be one of the backbones in our building around a positive education initiative. So it's my pleasure to award Angel Delina the Robbinsville High School Educator of the Year. first and I'll follow it. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. Um, this is Shelly Voss. Um, she's been with us at Pond for a couple years now. Um, it's not a morning at Pond without Shelly waiting for her students um, with the biggest smile every single morning uh, as her students get off her bus or get off their bus and they come to Pond, and Shelly welcomes them with open arms every single day. Um, she just told me out while we were waiting to step in here that she doesn't consider this work because she, she loves, she absolutely loves coming to work every single day and working with the students that she has contact with just because it brightens her day. And she loves watching as uh, they, they grow every single year. Uh, next year, her students will be in seventh grade and you know, just even talking to her about them, you can see the twinkle in her eyes that she genuinely loves and has passion for what she does. Um, she's an advocate for her students and all students. Um, she's uh, been working with uh, students doing um, the, the night day cafe uh, where they're selling hot coffee, um, tea, and some snacks. Um, and she, she's treating uh, that experience uh, just like she does every other in where she's finding value in educating her, her students in, in how to be great human beings. Um, and, you know, we're really excited that we had the opportunity to award her with the Educational Service Professional of the Year for Conroe yeah. School. Karen DeRosset. Um, she is a PE and health teacher at Palm Road uh, for 19 years. Um, <laughs> um, a few of the most wonderful things about Karen are um, she's wonderful with our students. Um, she makes connections with them every single day, inside and outside the gym, inside and outside uh, the health classroom, and she does a wonderful job with them. Other pieces, I have to do a fun fact, as Kathy asked, um, is that um, she has a, a walking duty during the day, so she practices what she preaches. Um, so I'm going to go into that in a second. Basically, what she does is she's responsible for walking around the building, make sure all students are getting to where they're supposed to be. But what she does is she walks at a pace that most people would consider a job, and she also, believe it or not, has done them. And she walks through the hallways, okay, and basically practices that physical education piece, even what she does in her everyday life. And I would not mess with her, just so you know. <laughs> The other piece is that she is the consummate professional. There isn't a day, a week, or a year that goes by that she's not coming into my office or Mike's office and asking about, hey, Paul, I have this idea. And I know it's time to pack a lunch. This is going to be a big one. Um, and it's always something not only to improve the lives of her students, her colleagues, but herself as well, which she has never stopped doing. She also sponsors um, volleyball games that are run through um, the staff throughout the district, which the money raised is given to charitable donations. She also is the club advisor for Play Unified, 
uh, club specifically designed on inclusivity. Okay? And she does all of this with pride, with passion, professionalism, and with love. I am honored to present Karen Garasa as the Honorable School Teacher. to Robbinsville and Sharon schools 17 years ago and um, has never left. <laughs> she started out as a substitute teacher, she became a classroom teacher, she became a computer teacher. She went back to school to get her uh, media specialist certificate. Um, she's now doing STEAM, she's a Google educator. She most recently got your um, certificate in Holocaust and tolerance yep, from, from Keen yep. University. Um, Kristen not only teaches children, which there are 1,100 at Sharon School, and she touches each of their lives, whether it's through the media center and the books and the blogs that she does, or through the STEAM lab, where she's preparing children for a future that we don't even know it holds yet. But she's always on the cutting edge, and she always wants to do what's coming up next. Um, so not only does she teach the students, but she teaches the teachers. Uh, when we went to Google, Kristen was there, she learned, and she brought us along with her. And we couldn't do the things at Sharon School without her. Not only is she so involved at Sharon School, but in Robbinsville itself. She has her three children, Isabella, Sophia, and Joey, her husband Pete. Um, she does Girls on the Run. She's done soccer. Um, and so many more things. She is truly Robbinsville through and through. And we are so thrilled to honor you Thank as you. the Sharon School Educator of the Year. What an incredibly impressive uh, group to receive the awards this year. And um, thank you to the school administrators. I thought you did a great job of really not only describing what they do at work, but also describing the kind of people that we are lucky to have teaching our kids every day. So thank you for that. I just want to say, too, I'm, I'm thrilled that we included our um, hardworking uh, behind-the-scenes instructional assistants who really are such a gift um, to the school, to the children, to other colleagues to help assist. And um, really, we're thrilled that we can honor you um, because you are such an important part of the success of each child that comes through here. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Congratulations to one of our students, and um, I'm going to get choked up because this student I've known since he was um, very young on the um, soccer field, and uh, he, uh, my husband loved him, <laughs> loved both of your boys, so it's very special to be honored tonight. So Rose, you're going to uh, yeah, present. present right? 
Uh, my name is Rose McGlue. I'm a teacher at Pond, and I've had the privilege of working with Cameron Coyle since he was in fifth grade. He's a sophomore here at the high school now. And um, I'm going to bring him, and I'm also going to bring Mr. Hank Bitten, who's the executive director for the New Jersey Council on Social Studies. If they would come up and join me, please. So as a member of the council, I receive an email every once in a while, and I, I received one earlier in the year to nominate students who have shown uh, outstanding progress or contributions to the social studies. And immediately, my mind went to Cameron. Not only is he a consummate student all the way around, but his focus of, is in American history, specifically presidential history. And when he was in sixth grade, seventh grade, Somewhere on there. <laughs> <laughs> we, we embarked on a journey together um, to develop, um, what would you say, a site for, a visitation site for, and library for, the neglected president, <laughs> Zachary Taylor. And um, not just doing a typical seventh grade presentation about a president, Cameron decided to look into purchasing um, the property that, that's uh, attributed to Zachary Taylor's growing up. He met with the man who currently owns that property and maintains it. They took a family trip to Kentucky to do this. He's been in touch with multiple universities and experts in um, presidential history and American history in general. And he hasn't stopped yet. We are moving forward with um, a foundation uh, that, that Cam is heading up and he's um, selecting a board of directors and it's becoming a real thing. So we are hoping to get your money soon <laughs> so that we, we can do uh, more of the work that Cam has set out to do. Um, so I want to bring Mr. Bitten forward if he wanted to add anything, and it was my pleasure to nominate uh, Cam through Hank's organization. And uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about any of the other uh, candidates for this. Oh, well, well <laughs> yeah, sure. New Jersey Council for Social Studies. We have about a thousand teachers, several from Robbinsville, come to our conference. And we do professional activities that help teachers get students engaged in learning, do an oral history, documents, civic education, more than just a PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. uh, but we can't, the teachers can't do anything unless the students and does something. And so we uh, nominate college students, um, middle school and high school. Uh, the seven counties of central Jersey, very competitive, and that's where Cameron represents. Next week I'll be at Point Pleasant High School uh, to give an award to Anna, who did a lot of uh, civic engagement activities. And uh, Leonia High School, I gave the award to Kimberly uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the same kind of thing. But Cameron stands out for his, his passion, and I, I can see it here how, uh, you know, the impact he's had on all of you uh, in the community over here. It takes parents, the passionate teachers that received awards tonight to do this. And I just want to commend, you know, your board because as all of you know, if you went to college, history is not required, social studies. And so the impact of the K-12, to particularly middle school, high school, is extremely important uh, in terms of the future of our country, understanding the issues. And Cameron at the high school also has a little club, an organization, where they talk about controversial issues, political issues. And it's just an important forum for us to listen to students. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what matters so much, to listen to students. So thank you. If you don't know anything about Zachary Taylor, he's president <laughs> yeah. in 1850. Yeah. He had some bad burgers or something. <laughs> <laughs>
he got sick on the 4th of July, and unfortunately, it's not funny, but he died a few days later. Cameron knows that story. Um, so, okay, yeah. so it's my honor to present uh, to Cameron the New Jersey Council on Social Studies Student Recognition Award, first place high school in Central Jersey. Yeah. Tomorrow at 6 30. 
The eighth grade field trip to Hershey Park will be this Thursday. And the eighth grade dance is coming up on June 7th. Pond is excited to send their eighth graders off to high school and welcome in the fourth grade class as this year comes to a close. Excellent. Thank you very much. So I'm going to turn it over to Kathy for the um, policy and regulation on random drug testing. So good evening, everyone. Um, as you know, um, the Education um, Development and Policy Committee has been working all year doing some research about a very bold policy. We knew it was bold, uh, and um, we felt strongly that this could really um, support and protect our students, give some students an out, um, uh, and, um, you know, really start to deter um, some of the drug use and misuse um, that continues to exist, not only in Robbinsville, in our state, uh, and throughout our nation. Um, and so we're proud tonight. Um, we, we had um, a, the public hearing last month, um, and hopefully everyone has gotten to read the um, frequently asked questions. We wrote all of your questions down. Uh, we responded to them. We posted them. And we actually did listen to many of the comments. We listened to all of the comments, but really took to heart certain comments um, specifically uh, uh, regarding consequences. Um, that was a, a, a what we felt uh, we heard loud and clear from uh, some of the concerns. Um, so we went back uh, to the drawing board with uh, the committee uh, and the administration for the high school and really wrestled through um, what that might look like. And those changes um, are, are current in this recommendation for adoption of policy. Um, before we open it to the public hearing, um, we also, um, I just um, wanted uh, Ms. Avery to speak for a couple minutes about you know, uh, the implementation as well, um, the importance of it uh, and the implementation. And then we have our very own Scott Kivett um, tonight who would like to just give us some um, broader statistics about why something like this might help our students and, and keep them safe. Thank you. Um, thank you, Board. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to speak for a few minutes from the principal's chair about the random drug testing policy. I've been in Robbinsville for... 12, finishing my 12th year, but I've been in education for 30 years. So drug use among students has drastically changed, I would say, in the last five to seven years. Um, my concerns is the uptake in, in things that I see. One, the number of students that we have in rehab at any given time. The number of students that I know are going to the ER because of drug use. Um, the misconceptions when I talk to parents about how drugs have changed from the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, and now here in 2019. Listening to ER doctors talk about how using marijuana, using a DAP pen, can cause psychotic episodes that are irreversible. So when we talk about people who say, well, do we have a problem, do we not have a problem? We have the same type of problem that every school in the nation, every high school in the nation is struggling with. The other part of that, when we talk about that, is when I first became an administrator, if a student smoked marijuana in my building, you could smell it, you could find it. It's not like that anymore. All right? It's right under our noses. It's in, in, in your bedrooms at home for parents. It's at the bus stops. It's in my bathrooms. It's in my English class. All right? A dab pen is undetectable. I have students who have come to me appalled about witnessing drug use in school. 
I have freshman parents who talk to me about my student doesn't want to go in that bathroom or go in that bathroom because they don't want to get in trouble for something they didn't do because of drug use. It is very hard to detect the use of a data. Right. I don't want to see what's happening now continue to impact us as our students get older. Right? This isn't just a high school problem. This is a middle school problem. Right? When I say in a meeting that I think it's important that we start talking to fifth and sixth grade parents about vape pens, mm -hmm. that's not a good day. But I know sixth grade parents and seventh grade parents don't have any, don't know about them. And then they might have an addicted sixth or seventh grader to nicotine without knowing about it. And honestly, a vape pen that, that, that um, dispenses nicotine is the gateway to a vape pen that dispenses THC and um, cannabis, right? It's the same touch, tastes the same, smells the same, gives you the same kind of feeling from part of that chemical reaction that happens in a vape pen. So when a 11 year old's using a vape pen, and then they're 14 and they're using a THC pen, and we're sending them to the hospital, okay? So there's a lot of pieces that go along with it being much more difficult for all of us to handle and deal with some of the drug problems that we're seeing. Long-term effects of certain types of, of, of vape pens and dab pens, we will not know. But a lot of the physicians and the researchers are saying things like bladder cancer among, among students, among young adults, because of the amount of metals that are found in your body. And I'm saying this because I know there's a lot of people who are like, that really are concerned about our students' rights. I am too. But I'm more concerned about making sure that we have a safe environment in this building and that kids are safe every single day to come in this building and that I'm not burying kids from specific types of drug, drug use and that I'm not having to call parents of very young students because of things that happen inside our walls. Now the drug policy. I feel strongly about the drug policy because when some bad things happen around drugs, I sit in front of these people and say, what can we do systematically to make changes or make it easier for kids to make good choices? All right? 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-olds don't always make the best choices. But we're giving them a reason not to do something. All right? And people have also said, the random drug testing policy, you're only targeting a specific group of kids. That's not really true when you look at our numbers. Between sports, clubs, parking, parking privileges, we're about 85% of our student body. So that's really pretty much, pretty much everybody. Like, it's a huge group. And parents of students who aren't involved can elect to have their students put into that group. So that's going to get some more parents. Parents have said, if my kid's not involved, I'm going to put them in the pool, because I want to know. Right? So I think that that's an important aspect that a lot of people have said, well, why are we targeting, why are we tar targeting the athletes? We're not. But it's a big dragnet. It's a lot of kids. It's three or four hundred kids a season. They're involved in sports. And then you have band, and you have clubs, and you have drama. You have a lot of aspects. And what I want to create is a situation where kids have a reason, because of something they feel passionate about, to say no about this. All right? Like I said, I've been doing this for 30 years, and teenagers make not always the best choices. But we're trying to help them make better choices. And that's one of the things that I feel very strongly about when we talk about, about, about the random drug testing policy. I want to try and team with parents. If you read through there, 
Students never get disciplined for anything that happens when, around this random drug testing policy. All right? And I know that we kind of took a little bit of a beating about the length of time if you, if you have one infraction or two infractions. But I think the piece that we're missing is the fact that if you have a second infraction and you know you're going to be tested again and you test positive, you have a drug problem. That's the part we're missing. We've talked about community service. We've talked about all these different things. We're missing the point. Completely missing the mark. The mark is if you have a problem and you, you test positive and you're getting some support from us and it's on the table and you continue to use, you have a drug problem. So that's the part that I need people to understand. So I think that's the piece that makes me, you know, we change some of those things and I think it's very reasonable when it talks about the length of time that you be out of activity, but I also think it's important for us to be able to identify students that have a problem if they, if they in fact have a problem by, by giving them professional help. So, for, like I said, from where I sit, this, I don't feel this is a punitive thing. I know it's in, you know, some people will feel that. And if I was a 17-year-old student in my building, I might feel like it's an invasion of privacy. But I think at the end of the day, my mission and my goal is to keep kids safe. My mission and goal is that students that are in my building are not using drugs in my building. And it didn't, it didn't used to be like that. That's a new thing. All right, that's a new thing because of the technology around drugs. All right, so I think people need to understand that. All right, and at the end, of, like I said, and when you talk and you really listen to the experts, marijuana and the vape dab pen that students are using now is drastically more stronger than what people smoked in the 80s and the 90s. It's not the same. It's not the same drug. All right, so that's the important aspects of that. And we're only talking about this little piece. You know, we also have other things. We have, you know, pills are an issue. All right? We have other types of drugs that lead to op opioid use. You know, we have buried students from this building from ODs. Okay? I've been here for every single graduating class in this high school. I've been to a lot of funerals. All right? And I hear stories from the police department about mid kids in their mid-20s that are opioid addicts. And they didn't use drugs in high school that much. It's happened after high school. So I'm going, got kids in high school using drugs now at a higher rate than they ever were. What's going to happen to them? So I'm trying to think ahead about that. So I need you to understand the people that don't agree with this, the reasons why I think it's important. It's going to be a lot more work for us because we have to track all this. Keep track, all right? But at the end of the day, I think it's worth it if we can make the difference and stop kids from doing this before, at the beginning, at the onset. How do we do this? How we drill down and educate people in middle school. It's parents and kids in the middle school. And Sharon's school in fourth grade parents. That's who I want to start to look at. But I think this is a huge um, move in the right direction. I applaud the board for taking this on because it's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. right? It's not an easy thing. And you know, most of the people I've talked to, there's been a lot of behind of thank you. Okay. You're helping me as a parent. Thank you. So that piece of it means a lot and has been kind of the part that I feel supported around from a lot of the parents when it comes to those aspects of this. Um, so again, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to let Officer Kibbett talk to thank fill you. in because we do work very closely with the Robbinsville PD um, and when they get information and educa that educate us, they let us know what's going on. And, and like this officer is the one that knows the most probably in our town about, about the drug scene and drug use in our town. Good evening. I'm Sergeant Scott Kevin Robinson, please. Um, 
I am uh, fortunate enough to get the training uh, where I'm a certified drug recognition expert. I'm also attached uh, to the prosecutor's office where we develop confidential informants of drug arrests to getting drug dealers. I'm also attached to uh, state police crime suppression. I go a couple times a month at Trenton. When I go in the Trenton, and they say, hey, why don't you come over here to Walnut and Mama Street where we just had five people being shot. Maybe you have a 17-year-old kid that's picking up drugs for Mama's Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not the person to say Robin's always beautiful or terrible. I'm going to tell you, drugs is everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's an urban area, million-dollar house, race, class, gender, zip code, paycheck. It doesn't make a difference. Drugs is everywhere. But I'll tell you this. Drugs is in Robinsville. And I'll tell you this. I hate to admit this. This is look bad on me. I don't know. But I started 15 years ago. I pulled over 100 cars. One of them would be hot box. And I'm not trying to make a joke. It'd be the Cheech and Chong marijuana smoke coming out of the car. And that's, you know, that was the drugs in this area. Now, unless you have training like drug recognition expert, like a clinical indicator is indicative to actually ingesting drugs, most of you guys don't even know what the drugs look like nowadays. Molly, certain degrees of MDMA, this is stuff that a kid could go on the internet and get delivered to their house. They don't have to go to training anymore. And you will have no clue what it looks like. And we don't know what it's made out of. You know, certain MDMAs, heroin, cocaine, and some other chemical they decide to put in that day. Is it in China made in? Is it made in Europe? There's stuff, moon rock. It's going to clubs where they're not drinking alcohol anymore. They're drinking 20 water bottles to keep their body temperature below a normal rate so, so it can diffuse some of the clinical indicators. What is it doing to their body? Nobody knows. These are all new drugs. Again, I remember telling myself, when I went to high school, it was marijuana and Natty Light. That's all it really was. And I'm not trying to make a joke. It wasn't, that's all it was. Now, LSD. About six months ago, I had a car stopped it right coming to Robinsville. It was pieces of cardboard. I had no clue what the drug was until I looked at the guy's eyes that were so dilated, and he was out there. Long story short, these pieces of cardboard were LSD. Nobody would have known. It's little slices of cardboard that were LSD. It's the same thing kids are jumping off the roof. Okay, this is not a exaggeration. This is a fact. They talk about that. I'm not trying to make this an education because I, 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 you call me down, I'll give you an education. I'll talk all day about different drugs and what they do here. But I want you to understand what's in this town. Dab. You ever hear of dab? You know, everybody talks about dab, right? Do we smell dab? No. It's extracted oil. It's pure THC oil that's coming out of marijuana. So instead of smoking all that marijuana, the oil comes out, and you take an adaptive. That's what they call adaptive. Adaptive would be the strongest marijuana you ever have. And what are these kids doing afterwards? They're driving home. So we're seeing DWI stuff. I don't think that's legal yet. And there's an extensive, way more DWIs ever from this stuff. People are falling off their couches by taking one dab of it. I, I, I for first time in my career, it's like we have to be more proactive than we ever have. And when I mean proactive, it doesn't mean pulling over cars and nonstop trying to get drugs. I'm talking about proactive to get people help. Three, four times a week, we're getting people into rehab. We're locking people up and saying, hey, you're addicted to heroin. We know you could sell me a dead horse and say it's one in the Kentucky Derby and say, I'm never going to do it again. 
But the next morning, you're going to be something called dope sick, and you're going to need to have that drug. doesn't matter. That's why there's domestics. That's why they, they, they burglarize their neighbors. These are good people. These are moral people that are committing immoral acts. And they're as young as 14 years old to as old as 70 years old until they overdose and die. What I'm getting at is these are good people, moral people, that are committing immoral acts. And three times to four times a week, the people we're locking up, we're begging them to get rehab instead of sending them to jail because jail is not that do it. So I, I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out the angle I need to, to explain people. Nobody's invincible. It's everywhere. And the only way to do this, really, is to be proactive. Proactive either getting people help, identifying the problem, whatever it is. So, um, thank, thank you, you. Right. Thank, thank you, Okay. So we're gonna during the, we're gonna have public hearing now. So during the public hearing on the uh, the random drug testing policy, the board invites members of the public to comment or make inquiries related to the policy. The participant must provide their name, um, and uh, they'll be granted three minutes in which to address the board. So comments? Yes, Avery. Hi, um, Avery Hutchinson, 57 Beacon Place. I always work on those questions. Um, I specifically appreciate the adjustment in the suspension from activities that you made in the latest draft, and as well as the passion that is presented. Before approving this policy, I do ask that you please review and provide proposed updates to the suspected use policies. We talked about the, you know, the already policies associated with those. As with our township, even the poor cause and suspected use cases should be handled with a therapeutic approach, and I think it would be best if you consider that at the same time for consistency. Um, you spoke about nicotine use and that kind of thing. Is there case law or testing limits that prevent nicotine or juuling byproducts from being subjected to this policy that wasn't covered in, that's not covered in the policy? Drug use is also seen in the middle school. Was testing in the middle school considered? Um, this, this policy specifically associated with the high school. What if someone is over the age of 18 and tests positive or is still fulfilling their obligations of the past positive, but the testing companies still contact the parents? What would parents be told? We're not allowed to be, if I understand, I'm not allowed to see their genesis information, so how much would a parent be engaged if the child's mm -hmm. over the age of 18? Um, are alcohol, marijuana, and heroin offenses all treated the same? I think that there would be some variation, maybe it's just more in the counseling. And just as a point of documentation, it'd be really great if a, if a new version date were applied to the top of the document. It really confused a lot of us since it's a creative February 2019. You didn't review it until April, and the only new date is for mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. I think what we'll do is cycle through, and then if we're going to answer anything, we'll yeah. answer them at the mm -hmm. end. Um, others? Yes. Hi, Mary Caffrey, 1164 Lake Drive. I just want to commend the board for taking this on. Um, I wasn't at the last meeting because I travel a lot for work, and what I do is I go to medical conferences all over the country, and I've gone to quite a few um, sessions with scientists discussing marijuana, both for medical use and um, some some scientific presentations on recreational use. I have never heard a scientist in any setting, whether for pulmonary, cardiac, um, or any other type, uh, including several different uh, psychiatric hearings, say that there's no risk for recreational use of marijuana. 
um, since I started writing, um, I don't write about marijuana use all the time, only probably two or three times a year. But there is, um, whenever, I, whenever I do write about it, my inbox gets bombarded with the different marketing groups um, trying to get me to write about all the wonderful uses for marijuana. And this has particularly increased since New Jersey's been considering uh, legalization of recreational use of marijuana. And probably the, and some of you who I'm personal friends with uh, know that I shared this with several of you that one of the more alarming things that I was uh, received was when um, the um, use of uh, the cannabis oil in jelly beans, which I thought, oh, that's just great. Um, so um, everything that uh, Molly and Scott share with you is 100% true. Um, and I'll, I'll just add to it that the FDA has tried to get pretty aggressive about moving toward regulating all of these products. Um, but all of you need to know that in addition to everything else that they shared with you, these companies are looking to make money off of your kids. They're looking to add every kind of flavor and color and you know, gizmo that you can think of to make all of this stuff very, very attractive to your teenagers because they want to make them the next, or, and your middle schoolers, to make them the next generation that they will make money off of to replace the cigarettes that we've tried to effectively get rid of. So um, this policy, I think, is incredibly important. Um, my kids have graduated. They graduated in 2016 and 2017. In the last year that my son was at school, there was one particularly scary incident in his classroom that you know I'll share with some of you offline. But it was a real wake-up call, and I'm pretty sure that that incident may have been one of the things that really triggered the discussion of this policy. So I want to commend all of you for taking this as seriously and spending the time that you have on it um, and for listening and making the changes um, in response to some of the public comments. And um, I'd be happy to share with any of you any of the scientific evidence that I've come across in the course of my job. Um, tracking this is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. Um, Rutgers has a fantastic public health school, and I would encourage any of you to maybe reach out to them and look to maybe work with them and, and be involved in maybe working with them to gather the epidemiological data and help work with them to help you interpret it and be have them you know work with them to help you um, you know see what you can learn from that forward and and use their professional expertise to guide you as you move forward with this. Thank you. Thank you. Other uh, comments? Yes. Hi, um, Carolyn, my friend has my address. The only real question I have, um, thank you for making this super clear. Um, the only question I have is on the list, um, um, power point of the tested substances, nicotine, and those things listed uh, that would be part of vape pens and bad things, um, was not on there. Can you please testify them? Because that actually is, vaping is the thing that makes it really difficult for my kid to use the bathroom. I would like my kid to use the bathroom. So, thanks. Thank you. Others? Hi, Leaf. I'll get you next. Go ahead, Leaf. Uh, Leaf Breeden, 2 Abington Lane here in Robbinsville. Um, from personal experience of testing, not for drugs, but for something else, uh, false positives, uh, that was brought up at the last meeting. I personally think that if a student is tested and they come back as positive, they should be tested immediately, again, to just to make sure it's not a false positive. Uh, what happened with my family is my other daughter who goes to Mercer. Um, she was genetically tested for something. Said, "Oh, this is this is what's going on here," and we went down that road for years. 
and then uh, the doctor who was doing some uh, studies in it asked for a blood sample to do it again, and they tested it like three or four more times, and it came back negative. And it turned out she had something else. That's a long story, but I mean, for, you know, I think it's very important that whoever you select to do this testing is at the company, yeah. you know, way up here. That there's no, uh, how shall I put it, uh, question about their procedures, their labs, their test outputs, things like that. I'm all in favor of this. I asked my daughter about it. She said she wouldn't have a problem at all taking a drug test. Um, you know, as our mayor said last the last meeting, if this could save one kid's life, it's worth it. And as we all know, I mean the the heroin opioid thing is out of control in this country. So it's not like when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Hi, my name is Dr. Gwendolyn Wood, and I do have a background in neuroscience and psychology. PhDs and I've worked with um, addicts at the Princeton House and I've worked with criminals that have been convicted at the Bo Robinson Treatment Center. Um, I don't have any issue with the fact that we need to treat addicts. So let me just throw that out there before I become the most unpopular person in the room. I, uh, I actually have a lot of concerns for the policy and the punitive aspects of the policy. Um, in particular, the data that it was based on, I know that through the Supreme Court you have the right to implement this policy. Um, the data that it's based on, the DuPont studies, have actually shown, been misinterpreted in some cases where it actually helped students who already had very low levels of substance use and deterred them. Um, whereas the most vulnerable populations are really not addressed at all which are those people who are either isolated, they don't have peer support, they're not in a group, they're not in a club, they're probably, you know, may or may not be doing some sort of sports. So that population is really not addressed. Also, um, it likely has shown, in, in that study even, it showed that it decreased self-reporting. And so we already have kids who are vulnerable, who are faced with the challenges of these extremely potent drugs that are impacting their behavior and uh, taking away opportunities from them, but also um, they're more vulnerable. So you look at, you know, if you look at NIDA, who has shown that teens, obviously they have their neurocognitive development, is not, yes, they make mistakes, because their brains literally are where they are and they're not going to be fully formed until they're in their mid-twenties. And it doesn't matter what policies you implement or how much you pressure them, that is just the reality that they're not going to be able to make decisions as well as, as an adult. And holding them to that standard is, you know, well, we can hope, but, you know, it is what it is. So also the national average um, shows that like 70% of teens would have used alcohol by the time they're a senior in college. So we know that it's out there. We know that it's happening. We know that in cases it's getting worse. Um, but my concern isn't once we have students that have been found to have a drug problem, yes, and I, I, I actually have some issues with how that should be done as well, but um, for those who haven't, for those who are in an experimental phase, I really think that you should look carefully at, one, how many times you should get a positive result before it's considered to have a drug problem. So if you take a kid who's already vulnerable, already seeking out drugs, 
who has, and it's been shown that those kids have a number of other problems, and they probably a 90% chance that they have um, other mental illnesses that are being untreated, or depression, anxiety, um, comorbid diseases, uh, and you're taking away their coping strategies. There are, only, there are very few coping skills of being part of a group or getting peer support. So, for one, for your most vulnerable population, including those who are atypical, neuroatypicals, like those who have IEPs, you know, 504s, um, those who have, you know, either untreated or partially treated mental illnesses, anxiety, depression, I would be very careful about how you implement the punitive aspects of this plan. And I would ask you to go back and reconsider those. How long, if you 45 days or whatever it might be now, uh, you could throw a kid out of an entire year of sports, depending on when that happens, or an entire year of their participation in clubs. So I would really encourage you to uh, really give a lot of thought about how long you're going to implement that, at what point you implement that, and also not all the drugs are the same, although certainly there are some where if you're going to test positive for some drugs, I would say immediately you're vulnerable and you should go ahead and start I need, the process. I, I need to just say thank you. We're past the sure. three minutes, but thank you very much for your input. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. With that said, um, can I have a motion to close hearing the public? Second. Okay. All in favor? Aye. Aye. So now can I have a motion to adopt um, policy and regulation 5536 random drug test. So moved. Second. Okay. Discussion. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the board is welcome to comment. We can go around um, if anybody has a comment they'd like to make. Sure. So, I feel very strongly about random drug testing, and I appreciate everyone who's fought for their opinions tonight. Um, I used to be a social worker for a lot of years, and I worked with um, I was a, I was a dietist investigator, and I worked in Mercer County and I worked in Ocean County, and 80 to 90 percent of all my cases were drug use, and they weren't drug use of parents that were starting when they were in their 20s. They were always kids that were recreationally using in high school, and then a, you know either they got addicted to pain pills, they were prescribed things, and then it went down the path of heroin. So it wasn't that people were starting off with heroin, but a lot of times they got to that point because at that point they had become so addicted and they went down that path. And I've seen so many people's lives destroyed and then a second generation destroyed because their kids, these little babies, are having to watch their parents go through so much. And it was awful having to knock on doors and I would have to remove kids for this. So I feel very so I feel strongly about random drug testing and giving our um, administration this as a tool. Regarding the most vulnerable pop population not being addressed, I understand that point. I think that random drug testing is not for those heavy drug users. It's and I don't think that's the purpose of it. I think the purpose of it is for those recreational users that are using one, two, a few times and it's to effectively deter them. And it's to give kids a tool and an opportunity to say no. Especially, I feel, as, as a woman and as a young girl, there's so much pressure, especially on young girls, so that when they are given the opportunity to say no, but then still be cool and say, no, 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 I can't do drugs because I'm on the tennis team or on that. We're giving them an opportunity to still be cool, 
but then not be, but then not use drugs or not make decisions that they're going to regret later in life. So um, I feel strongly about that. We did have discussions about whether it was constitutional. We've been assured that it is constitutional um, based on the way that we're that we're implementing this. Um, and I have confidence in the outside agency we're using, and we are using the same agency that Hopewell and that some other schools have used. So I believe that we can implement this the right way, but we are going to be getting information every month from our administration regarding how it's going down, how things are, are going. Um, and I just want to say I appreciate the discussion. I know everyone's been working really hard on this, um, and I appreciate all the concerns. I know that we've, we've taken that into consideration. And again, thank you. Anybody else? Hi. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, please. No, I just, um, I'm not going to regurgitate what Shannon just said because my feelings are exactly the same. Um, I, I don't have the same background Shannon does on a professional um, standpoint, but um, just as a parent, um, my children are uh, much younger. They're not in high school. Um, Molly, I, I said, can we make this in middle school? But I'm saying, we're nowhere near that yet. Um, if, if there's just one thing we can do for, for my kids, for Shana's young kids, you know, for your kids, it just gives them that out, that they can say no, and they can walk away. Um, it makes it just that much easier. And that's, that's you know, for, personally for me, my big, my big um, driving force behind, um, behind supporting this. Um, I did think we, the board, um, the committee, heard a lot of feedback around consequences. We did take that back and um, came into an agreement that, you know, obviously um, Mrs. Avery um, supports. So um, this is also not the school's only um, approach to supporting or stopping or educating on, on drug use. I think that's really important to know, too. Um, you know, I, I did some independent research. I think we all did. Um, if, if this was our only tool to prevent or stop drug use, it would not be effective. We have multiple things that, this, that the district does, and um, through you know assemblies, through parent education nights, um, th through through other policies that um, that are in place today um, for drug testing, um, especially if there is the suspicion um, that a student is under the influence. So, um, as this as just another rung in the ladder to help try to protect our kids, I think it's a great um, it's a good step in the right direction. <laughs> yep, I uh, fully agree. I mean, this is something that we've been looking at for a couple of years now. It was not a decision-based vacuum in the last moment. I think, you know, I've talked to Molly many times. I've talked to, to Scott and our other police officers. Clearly, we have our three teenagers. We have issues in our town in our, and uh, in our schools, and, and we need to take a step to address them. It's not punitive. I had concerns about um, the consequences. We, we took a look at that. We pulled back on some of that, I think, was smartly. But I have to applaud um, Kathy and Kim and the rest of your team for doing great work over the past uh, couple of years and really beefing up what we're doing holistically to address the drug problem. So this is not a one-off. I've read the research which says it has to be part of a, of a greater solution, and it is and it will be. And you know, from my perspective, we try it for a year. We, we assess where we are. We assess the effectiveness. If it doesn't work, then we stop. But I firmly have the belief that if it allows one child and out, one child to say no, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to jeopardize football or basketball or drama or robotics, then it's worth it. So I fully and enthusiastically support what we're doing today. Others want to make comments? Go ahead. Um, well, I, I reiterate, you know, I, I agree with what most of everybody's saying. 
Um, I'm on the policy committee, and you know, like I said last month, this was not done lightly. This was not done without emotion. This was, you know, a very emotional topic for all of us, uh, whether you're on the on the, the policy committee or not. I've personally gone back and forth. Yes, no. Um, you know, the, your parents gave us a lot of a lot of great things to think about last month, and we took that, you know, point by point in our in our meeting. We really did um, and discussed every point. It's probably the longest policy committee we've had since I've been on policy. But uh, that was good. It was a good discussion. Um, I, you know, there's there's certain minor, there's some things about this I don't fully agree with. I'm not going to go into that tonight. Um, but the one thing, um, you know, the one things that um, I, I come to grips with is number one, the support from our police department, our administration is very very important. Um, and I won't speak specifically, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. But the results we got back from Hopewell. Am I allowed to talk about that just a little? Um, Not specifically, but gener yeah. generic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, was positive, a positive effect on the kids, and that meant a lot to me. Um, I think that that um, swung myself way back to um, being okay with what I told them with this policy, um, and I'm proud of the board, proud of administration, proud of everybody that had a part of this, and I look forward to getting the reviews back every month, and then, like Rich said, you know, reviewing again the year and see what kind of impact it had on our kids. And, uh, it's 100% awesome. I just want to make a couple comments. I uh, wanted to thank um, Molly and Scott for coming to speak tonight. Uh, and, and in particular, Molly, um, I was already in support 100%, uh, but you made me like 150% <laughs> because as good and vigilant and knowing of a parent that I feel like I am, there's only one of me, and there's three of them. So my eye can't be everywhere. And the fact that it could be completely under my nose and uh, I could miss it, this gives me some peace of mind that you know it, it's there. So I appreciate that comment that, that moved me even farther, but I don't know that it could be moved any farther. Um, uh, secondly, I want to just say we will be at the next policy meeting looking at the suspected use policies to put them in alignment. Um, but that's not going to stop us from voting tonight. Um, uh, uh, something was raised about middle school. Um, I, I asked that too. I think we'd like to get a year under our belt and see how it's going before we go back to the administration and say, should we move this Does farther? Case probably case law uh, yeah, that, yeah. Yes. that would be, that's, yeah. 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 Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And then um, I know there was a question about over, over 18, 18 and, I don't and we don't have an FAQ on that, but we will add an FAQ. We'll find out the answer, and we will add. I don't remember who brought that up, but we will. Avery. Uh, Avery. Okay, we will find the answer to that um, too. Um, the devil is in the details. So, Leaf, I appreciate false positives and procedures and labs. Uh, the devil is in the details. We, as a board, have asked administration to come back to us between now and September and continue to review the um, operationalization. Uh, I will tell you up front, um, that can't all be public. And the rationale is, if everything is public, trust me, the kids will figure out a way around it. <laughs> so there needs to be a little bit of mystery, just like in security. So I hope you will trust that your elected board will keep their eye on it as parents um, uh, and as um, a, a board to ensure that the kinds of things you're thinking about, we are thinking about, but I would say even more strongly, Kim and Molly and Kathy are thinking about. 
they 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 have they, they have the best interests of our kids in in mind here. So thank you very much. I'm I'm glad you pushed us to keep yes, moving. Good. It's really good. And um, uh, is there any other comments before we move to a vote? Okay. Roll call. Mrs. Siacchio? Yes. Mrs. DeVito? Yes. Mr. Galuccio? Abstain. Mr. Hom? Yes. Mr. Heilman? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Yes. Mr. Vice? Yes. Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Absolutely, yes. The motion passes. Okay. Um, so next on the agenda is interviews with our architect of record. Um, so, Beth, are you going to bring them first? I'm happy to do it. Yep. I'll get, I think they have a where little PowerPoint. Gonna, where are they going to I think we're going to set something. Just turn this on. You should, like, we move? Yeah, I, okay. I think, well, actually, they may set something up right here, though. Okay. Let me just think. Is that? I know, but if they have PowerPoint, I can't see it. Yeah, we'll move during the PowerPoint. We'll move during the Everybody's swimming. Okay, that's on. I know, but I don't want the power. I don't want to It's hard to read. It's right into your eyes. Okay, we're going to have like a, like we're interviewing four numbers. They should face the board. You're welcome. They're adjusting the board. Thank you. Yeah, it's just being said. Yeah, it's just so first up is FD. Oh, okay, so do you want it? That's fine. It's going to be ridiculous. It's fine. I know, I know. I was just going to say, please don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, not a problem. That would be the last pop, pop time, though, right? Like the last yeah, yeah, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. But that's fine. Absolutely. I don't know. Perhaps. We were supposed to start this conversation uh, at 8, so we're a little behind. Good evening. Good evening. 
Do they have a PowerPoint? I'm going to find that. Okay. So I wanted to welcome um, with the RFP process, we have um, three firms we're looking at tonight and FVHD Associates. Close enough. Close enough. Um, is here tonight. I thank you for coming. They had submitted a proposal and we were very interested. Um, we have Jason in the middle, who's an associate. We have Steven, the engineer on the right, and we have the principal, Ted, on the left. Um, I'm not sure if you needed a PowerPoint, if you just wanted to speak a little about your firm and uh, then I, have a seat, I, please, and then we, we're going to. We don't need a PowerPoint. Okay, so okay. I'll turn, I'm going to turn this off so it's not like a um, I know some had asked, so. That's okay. And then um, I know the board, I don't know if you guys discussed who wants to ask what, but I gave a, a template if you wanted to follow of questions. Um, uh, why don't, um, I think what we'll do is if um, we'll start with FFT and just have FFT uh, take So would you like to give a little background about, about your Absolutely. firm and what you... Absolutely, would be appropriate. Yeah. I appreciate um, that. First of all, thank you all very much for the opportunity. We always appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the kind of work that we do. Uh, we've been a, a K-12 uh, architect for about 60 years. Uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, our firm started in 1918. We just celebrated our 100th year anniversary. Uh, about 1950 or so, uh, while doing a lot of public work, uh, principals at that time noticed that there were a lot of kids running around and decided that would be a, a good uh, avenue, and they started doing that, uh, not exclusively, because we still do other public work. We've done a couple ballparks, which has been a lot of fun for me since I love, I love baseball. Uh, we've done libraries, uh, administration buildings, fire buildings, police facilities. But 95% of our work is, is K-12. Uh, we're here to, to help and hopefully be a team member of yours. That's really what our, our, our goal is. We don't come in here and, and dictate. We come in here and we listen. Uh, we want to know your special, unique, because they're all unique. Uh, we have many clients. Each of them are, are unique in the number of uh, buildings they have and the needs that they have. And I think that's very important uh, for us to understand those needs. Uh, part of what we have uh, suggested, what we always suggest, we recognize that we have a new director of facilities. Uh, Brian's a good guy. I mean, we knew him in, in, in Matawan. He's a good guy. Steve and I and Jason all, all know him well. And uh, he's kind of getting his feet wet, and we understand that. And I think it's important that perhaps a feasibility study would be helpful, not just for him, but for all of you, to understand what, what those needs are, what the priorities then that you can start to assess and provide uh, to each other and, to, uh, and for, for the buildings that you're going to uh, have your kids in. We understand what some of those needs are. Uh, those are not unique. HVAC needs, ATC, got some roof issues. Those are not uncommon things, and we, we, can, we, can, do, we can do that with Steve Self on the HVAC uh, NEP end. Uh, we've, again, we've done all this work, so that's my, that's my intro. So I'll, I'll leave it at that, and be happy to answer any of your questions. That you have. So, um, Vito, do you want to start as? With the, um, so we have we have questions going through each yeah. one. Sure. Um, so do you want me to just go one through just as they're listed, or sure. pick a few and 
No, just go. You start with one, and then we'll kind of move around after. All right. So the first one is please provide some background for for your firm and explain why you believe you're a good fit for serving Robinson. Okay, I think I did the first part. Uh, the second part is is really important. Obviously, a, a good fit. But I think there's maybe a two pronged part of that. Um, the second part of that is perhaps what I described: is getting to know your buildings well, getting to know you all well, what your needs are, what your priorities are. Um, I believe it was in the brochure that we gave you or the proposal. Uh, but Maria Perry, if you can find that, and he said, you know, he, she appreciates because we listen. That's what we're supposed to do. That's really part of our job. I mean, we're problem solvers by nature. That's what we do. But we're here to listen to you and to understand your unique uh, circumstances so that we can solve those problems as best we can, give you our best recommendations moving forward, and, and how we solve that together, not unilaterally. So as far as a fit, I want to be a part of your team. I don't want to be, hey, you know, this is what I think and I think you should do that. I want to hear what you have to say. And then Steve and I and Jason can assess what that is with you, not without you. Um, the other part of the fit, I think, is, is what I answered. I think it's, it's, this is what we do. This is our business. This is what we have, have been uh, working at for a number of years in my my gray hair, uh, not his yet, he's, he's going to get there. Uh, we've done this for a long time, and, and learning from our predecessors as to how to best service, very important word, I'll let that hang there for a moment, service you, that's really what we're here to do. We're going to service you. Uh, I don't sell you know, things, I, 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 I listen in and we problem solve with you, that's my service. So, you know, simply uh, getting to know you uh, starts with at least we are in the profession of what you need right now, which we believe is a team member along with Steve uh, and his MEP uh, brilliance, and, and we, can, we can help solve your problems for you. That's how we best fit. Uh, you have a need, we can help that need. That's, that's how we fit. That's the best way I think I can answer that. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Scott, do you want to put it in? Describe a recent building project that your firm has completed. Explain your level of involvement from planning to close out. The most recent one that comes to mind is the Freehold Borough project. Mm -hmm. We all worked on that one. Uh, it was very unique. I know I shouldn't use those two words in the same sentence. In that, a, a started with a feasibility study. That was the inception when we came onto the board. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a changeover of BA and superintendent quickly, mm -hmm. but they knew that they have a, a unique enrollment problem there. Incredibly unique. Uh, and I'm sure you, you've heard of it, but anyway, went through the, the feasibility study with Steve and with Jason. We all are very familiar with it. And had their priorities. Went to a referendum. Referendum failed. Went back out two and a half months later, I think it was, September, yep. December. Mm -hmm. Went out two and a half months later, failed. And then the superintendent made a very bold move, and he called the commissioner's office. And they won. So our involvement through that was actually unique as well, as I'd never been in front of a, a board like that answering questions about the involvement of, of us and the needs and 
you know, convincing them of the district's needs. That was that was pretty that was pretty nice. I, I, I enjoyed doing that. And then when the response came, um, we were shocked. We were, we were shocked as anybody else. I mean, we were just and delighted, of course. So it involved uh, additions, renovations, capital projects. Uh, you probably know them better than I do. Um, all the way through uh, construction administration, and we are just finishing that up, as a matter of fact. Uh, we probably have a month or so to go on a, a, an additional project that they added, and then finishing up the punch list. And uh, it's been a wonderful project. Uh, added additions to a site that was very, very cramped. Uh, changed a K6, K8 configuration buildings to a K2 and a 3.8, a 3.5 for the elementary school, a 6.8 for the middle school. So it was a it was a blending of, of everything, including enrollment projections and and uh, capital projects and renovations and uh, a rearrangement of the of the grade alignment. So it, that had everything. Uh, a lot of HVAC, of course. It also uh, had a lot of uh, reconfiguration of the site, yeah. and traffic flow was very important to them. Mm -hmm. And improving traffic, adding parking, um, and just uh, creating an overall better circulation around the site, as well as incorporating all the additions. Fire alarm, public address, comprehensive HVAC systems, uh, dedicated outside air units to address indoor air quality, brand new top to bottom ATC systems, APA um, bathroom group, group compliance, lighting, comprehensive lighting replacement for both schools. New, new security vestibules? Yeah. It really had everything. It had everything. It was a pretty, pretty neat project. And it was on time and on budget, which was, which was good. I know you all like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that it. bids came in and were able to work, which, you know, it's been a challenge, I would say, in the industry recently with the evolution of construction. Construction costs continue to escalate. Mm -hmm. So when we can open the bids and award, we're halfway there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, What's, what's the firm's experience uh, in terms of the New Jersey K-12 infrastructure projects, bathrooms, roofs, windows, for the New Jersey K-12 public schools? I would argue that from uh, what happened in, in September of 2008, October of 2008, changed the dynamic of school construction dramatically. Since that point, and if you're like every other school district, uh, he really kind of held back on any other projects, and they were they were then minimal. What we have to do to keep our buildings going, and they were all capital projects, and they included all the things you just mentioned, from boilers to windows to it, it, the uniqueness was anything that would that would pay back money. I think Steve would agree with that. Anything that saved money. So if I put in new windows, is that going to save me money? Yes. Okay. Well, then we should do that. That should be a higher priority. Yeah. Bathroom groups maybe not as much. Energy but conservation H measures. HVAC, yeah. ATC. Anything had to do with energy conservation measures, and a little bit more recently, quite a bit of focus on security mm -hmm. of every depth and breadth that you can roof out them, yeah. and yeah. things like that. Exactly. Anything that saved saved the dollar on the electric bill was was critical, and and a higher priority than let's say toilets. Now, as you get into that, that's more of an ADA issue, and then you and then districts go like this. Well, that's a good thing to do. How does that, and then we of course will help assess dollar value. And we, we can't do, we only have 500,000 left, what can we do? 
So you get into that kind of dialogue, and I think that's uh, incredibly uh, helpful to give you options. But from that on, until very recently, that's pretty much what every firm was doing. You had an occasional blip of increased enrollment, which helped drive some building. But it was limited. I mean, there are pockets of... A lot of ATC work. Yeah. Because that's one way to save your operating expenses, and it has a very, very attractive payback. Yeah. Between lighting, roofs, windows, automatic temperature control, and HVAC upgrades to not only condition your indoor air quality, but also adjust and make sure you're you know, energy efficient, they, they have attractive paybacks too. So we, that space, what we saw, I probably like to call it the renovation decade. Yeah, absolutely. Lack of a better term. Really was. Mm -hmm. Right. Can I use that later? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and Steve's right. And, and just recently, we're seeing a lot more building projects. And that may be related to academics, uh, not so much enrollment. But, uh, you know, we're here to to do whatever you need based upon on your needs, and that's the uniqueness of the district. So, well, a lot, a lot. I'm supposed to ask you, what does your firm, how does your firm handle warranty issues? What I really want to know is, how successful is your firm in handling warranty mm. issues? Number one. Secondly, you mentioned an assessment, which I feel is badly needed. Um, what's in it? How long and how much does it cost? And thirdly, your experience with ESIPs. Easements? ESIPs. ESIPs, pardon. So let's start with how your success with warranty repairs. Warranty repairs should be very simple. It's really not complicated. Uh, the spec calls for the length and duration. Uh, at the time of closeout, you're given a document that tells you what that should be. And uh, as a team, uh, I would argue that, that you and I contact that vendor, that manufacturer, depending on the time period, because at some point in time it's contractor driven, and then after that it's vendor driven. Right. Roofing is an example, right? I mean, roofing is pretty simple. A certain amount of time that a roofer specifically that, that he did that project, he's got to come out and fix it. And then after that, it would be the manufacturer and they pay for it. Now they may choose any vendor that they choose, but they know who they're gonna work with. It's not a difficult process at all. It should be very, very simple. I, I realize that, but how the successful are you with it? We get involved as we need to get involved, and, and the biggest ones are, are roofing. We really don't have any other problems with any other warranties than that. And, and, and I gotta be honest, depending on the, the level of involvement and, and uh, complexity with, with your director facilities, they should be able to take care of most of those relatively simply. Hey, the unit is X. Hey, the roof is leaking. Hey, this product broke. And it shouldn't be that difficult to task. But again, how we get involved is, is each district is unique and they have us involved or not. I find, I, mean, some not. I, I find some difficulties with HVAC to be candid with you because there's a labor and there's a parts warranty. And there's a dynamic between what the manufacturer, as an example, if a compressor in, in a unit fails, it has a five-year or a ten-year warranty depending on what's in the specifications and what's purchased. That generally involves the material. Then you have to get the contractor involved in the labor part, and that's the hard part. So it's not, it's not 
unsolvable. It just takes diligence on our part and basically enforcement and putting them on notice. But but that's where I see from roofing. So I don't have experience with the roofing part. No. But when you're dealing with machines with parts and certain parts carry it. Right. What about five years assessment? We need it. How you know what's what will be in it? How long and, and how much? Let me just answer the first question very simply. We deal with a lot of manufacturers and we can apply pressure because they're in our spec or not. So they know to satisfy us is important to them. Good point. Uh, the assessment, uh, unique in each, each district, uh, needs age of buildings and so forth. Um, three buildings of this size, we know your, we know your, your size mm -hmm. of your buildings, and it could be anywhere from you know, 15 to 20 grand. Uh, it'd probably take us maybe a, a month and a half or two, depending on access to the buildings. Uh, we give you a rough draft. You look at it. Hey, Ted, you missed this, or hey, we already did this, or we have this planned. And again, there's a, an assessment and a coordination from both sides, and and then we give you a final draft. And we also give you a document for as an icon uh, on your desktop that you can open up because we put it in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet that you can have. You can load up each year from one to whenever you want to. Change it as you like. Hey, you know, we should move this from year two to year five. It's not as bad as we thought. Hey, we need to move this from year five next year because it, it just went bad on us. Uh, districts that we deal with love that. Yeah. They like the should do. Yeah. Must do, should do, could do. And, then and that sometimes changes. And, and, on our totally and we'll find our perspective is totally different from, from the districts. And sometimes the, the listening part of it on both ends takes a priority one and makes it a two, and then all of a sudden a two is a three based on the need. Right. You, Leslie Esips, have you dealt with them? Yes. Absolutely. Um, we, we understand the need and the desire and, and what provides uh, an important level of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, necessary work. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of Esips. Hmm. Uh, as I mentioned to most people, and I even mentioned this to Brian when I saw him, uh, we have done them, we will do them, and it is important, it's an important part, but let me just be candid, they kind of take your lunch money. <laughs> they do. Let's, let's be honest with you, they, they do not allow you to realize the savings on your own without them taking a big bite out of it. 20%. And as Steve said earlier, is you're going to get half a lunch rather than... The, some of the ESIPs are better than others. Yes. A lighting ESA is a lot, that's easy, and it's, and it's good, and it's, and it's direct, and, it, and you can almost see the savings right away. But when you're dealing with Chinese chillers, lithium bromide chillers, and pumps that are in bad shape. Which we know you have, by yes. the way. Yes. Yes. You recognize you, you, that. Right. You've done your homework. We recognize <laughs> done our homework. <laughs> we, yeah, but it it's takes, hard. I don't mean to talk over you. It takes a tremendous amount of money to keep a lithium bromide chiller in operation when you compare it to other systems. So if you look at a life cycle and you begin to look at the maintenance and service requirements that on a yearly basis versus a different system, it begins to find a fine line which can be defined with really minimal analysis and effort. And I've replaced those systems in many, many school districts throughout the state of New Jersey just because of that. Do you, do you think the savings is, on to that point, do you think the savings is real? Or are you just saying that you could get more savings if you went off and did it on your own? No, no, this, this thing, I'm sorry, ask, I don't understand your question. I, I, I did, if okay. you don't mind. The, the savings is real, but it's not as 
as good as you could do. You, you change out a 1960 you know, boiler with a 2019 boiler, you're going to save money, no question. And any other piece of HVAC equipment as well. The best dollar value for you, I'm not going to hear it, I'm not dictating, I'm just saying is, is for you to get the best value is, is a referendum dollar, which gives you 40% of any eligible project. And any eligible capital project is eligible for 40%. They're not going to give you that. They're going to pick the low-hanging fruit, the things that are easiest for them, especially with an ESCO, do it as easiest for them and charge you the most. And they recognize the savings. You don't. You get your, your electric bills a hostage for 10, 15, 20 years. And with the I'm ESCO, sorry. With the ESCO uh, option versus uh, the district performing it on their own, the ESCO also takes control of your systems as well. Yeah, uh, most temperature of the time. your room. So they're controlling it remotely to make sure it's working in the way they need it to work. And, and realizing the savings that you thought you would realize. Now having said all that, we've done them. Yes. And, and we recognize that, hey, we can't do a referendum. We recognize that, we do them. So it is a, a way of moving forward. It is a way of changing out equipment. But when they say, um, excuse me, Mr. Brooks, I gotta turn your, your uh, thermostats down to 67 because we're not realizing the savings that we thought through all that year of calculation. <laughs> we're not realizing as much as we thought, and we need to realize that. So in order to do that, we need to slip that thermostat down to 67. Does that sound like a good idea to you? That sounds like a good idea to me. That's the realization of, of a good concept gone bad sometimes. Because I don't think the concept is bad. But sometimes we're a firm that, that rarely and I use that rarely because I know kids like to be on the cutting edge. Like sit back and go, wait a minute, let's see how that acts before we really jump in and realize that, wow, we should have given it a little more time to analyze that. Well, I think ESIS is now showing the, the, the dirty laundry that you really didn't want to see. And yes, we do them. Yeah, because we recognize we want to help the, the And, and we're, our team is working on a blended combination referendum ESIP right now. And we're going through that process. So we've, we've done both. And in the past, I've worked for I hope I've answered the question. Yeah. Oh, thank you. What's the firm experience with green or sustainable lines? Boy, can I have this one? Sure. I'll, I'll be real quick. Uh, I'm a lead accredited professional. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I was one of the earliest lead accredited professionals. and. You know, my partner at that time, was my boss at that time, David Freitag, said, uh, hey, Ted, go get your lead. <laughs> okay. I studied, and I looked at everything, and went through it, and I'm like, I went, came back to him like a month later, I'm like, Dave, we do all this stuff. It's become such common, so, so commonplace, that all the details and all the calculations that he does, we meet that standard anyway. All the buildings we do would meet the design, or excuse me, would meet the guidelines of LEED. However, most districts, they don't want to go through the attaboy, which is a lot of the paperwork, I know it's money. paperless. And money. Yeah, of doing that right. to make, to give you a plaque. Yeah. And the plaque is a wonderful thing, by the way. It's not a bad thing. But most districts don't want to do that. They just, why, why do I have to pay, you know, Ted's firm and Steve's firm extra money just to get that when 
it's part of the process anyway, is what I'm saying. And yeah, we like to think that we're cutting edge guys and we can do the latest and greatest. We got a couple uh, leads over HVACs, and yeah, we've done them. And we sometimes you have to do them. When you do SDA projects, you have to do them. Yeah. But we really don't do a whole lot more. I mean, to me, lead is almost phasing itself out because it's so commonplace anymore. It's basically in the building codes. They've developed what's called a model energy code, which is part of the uniform construction code for New Jersey. And in that, there's certain criteria, certain modeling, which I must do, and I must make sure your horsepowers and your fans are sized appropriately to get us close to net zero, which is energy neutral as we can with the laws of physics. So, 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 so let me give you an example. So you can, you can clean a brownfield. Guess how many points you get? One. You cannot do irrigation on your plants outside. Guess how many points you get? One. Does that make sense? Bite it does and I'm going to leave it credited professional, but the weight and the balance on dollars versus point value is skewed that it, it almost becomes less important than really doing the most important things you should do. Which is listen and design this project, right? Yeah. And the other reason the lead is not as common, because it, it's usually a, a building-wide, all-encompassing process where a lot of the projects are, you know, the boilers now and the windows later. and. Unless they're all one big project, right. you can't really achieve a, a lead. So it's just getting sustainability piece by piece sometimes is the way to go. Thank you. Craig. Okay. Uh, what is the firm's experience with the New Jersey Department of Education long range facilities? Take one. Take Our experience has been since the, the onset of the program uh, back in 2000 um, as part of the ACFA law. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with the, the process which involves uh, demographics, uh, inventory of buildings, and uh, you know, inventory of capital projects and building systems. Uh, we went through the process with our, almost all of our clients back in 2000, again, um, when they did it again five years later, uh, after which the district kind of put the brakes on it and it basically became an as-needed process. <coughs> Anything involving um, capacity generating projects, additions, major renovations, uh, those were the only things allowed to be updated because the website was kind of not doing so well and um, they didn't really want anybody touching it unless you had to. Um, and our experience you know, with it has been that that was a good idea. Um, so, you know, through a lot of referendums recently, <coughs> we've been doing it a lot more. You know, the referendums tend to have more of the capacity generating projects. And, working with the updated demographics for each school district and, and going through the process of the website. Um, we've been doing that uh, a little bit more recently and you may be aware that uh, even more recently the Department of Education has started to go back to uh, the process of having to update the entire long-range facility plan for a district. Um, I don't know if the exact process is completely flushed out yet, uh, but we are, uh, we have been in direct communication with the uh, Department of Education trying to better understand what they're looking for based on the type of project that a district is thinking about, whether it's small capital project, do you really need to update the whole plan for that versus, you know, a major addition or renovation or, you know, new, any kind of new construction might make more sense. What's the time frame about, you know, the update and related to the size of the project? So we're definitely uh, keeping up to date on, on where things are with the long-range facility plan. I think we're trying to better understand the, the timeline, uh, which is 
initially they came out with, we need these right away. You're not going to get any projects done. We need them right now. And it's a little unrealistic. We, we told them that, you know, give us a five-month window. Give us a six-month window. And the guy's like, well, yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense that you would do that. Um, it's going to hurt more districts than others, obviously. But we're trying to have them be realistic. And how do you get from a, a, a program that had a problem with software, huge problem with software, to all of a sudden, oh, by the way, we want your, we want your long-range facility plans tomorrow. Get them in. So we're trying to work that out, and uh, we're trying to be an advocate for school districts that you know may or may not want to do that right now. But uh, maybe just extending the horizon. We recognize it has to be updated. Uh, some have, are in a better position than others. Mm -hmm. And they had always promised a new software that really never came, so it was even more surprising that they wanted mm -hmm. us to go through this process. Uh, the Board of Education may on occasion require the firm selected to represent the district to make presentations. Please describe your availability for such presentations. Yes. Seeing that it's 9.15 <laughs> at night already. <laughs> um, as I mentioned to Ms. Brooks when we were walking in here, this is, our, this is what we do, so we're used to it. Uh, any presentation you would like us to be at, uh, boy, we, we would love to come and talk to you. Uh, even if it's just to update the board on, you know, what's going on with certain projects. We do it all the time. It's certainly part of our service and we don't charge for it. So it's kind of part of our fee structure. Uh, you know, we, we normally do that uh, in the middle of large projects, if I could be quite frank. And an update is a, is a very important thing, you know, on a monthly basis or whatever you meet. Uh, and we do that all the time. So that not, not uncommon for us, not uncommon for uh, our firm. And I drag Steve when, when he's needed. Uh, it's a HVCMEP uh, issue. I, I drag him out with me. And if not, I leave him home and I, I take care of it myself. We also do a great deal of presentations to help promote uh, referendums for school districts to help with marketing and um, getting the word out. And we're here to help on that if, if you guys go down that road to okay. give you uh, give you support in that in that way. I think, you know, having done this many, many times, uh, I remember sitting in my first referendum meeting, this is a long time ago, uh, for a particular district, and, and it's easy to get the understanding as you go through meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, and then part of it is just then the education, ironically, right, you deal with schools. You have to educate your constituents to why you think you need that, and that's what we're here for. Shannon, want to take the last question? Yeah, I get, I get the most fun one. Um, Go ahead. Has the firm ever been released or terminated <laughs> during its involvement from a project prior to completion? And if so, could you explain the circumstances, including the project name, location, and the date of release? Oh, that was a fun one, wasn't it? <laughs> I love it. The best for last. <laughs> the answer is no, and uh, I'm happy to say that. So I can't answer the second part because the first part's no. Um, of course, in our in our tenure, there's been many, many times when uh, our our most fun one is a is a superintendent and a BA come in, and I can be wonderful with you people. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, that's awesome. And the new superintendent and BA come in, goes, who's Ted? Who's he? Well, you know, and and that happens a lot, and we we get it, and we we do the same. I mean, listen. Um, Part of this is getting to know you, getting to fit right, 
and, and working as a team with you for a long period of time. We have districts of over 20, of over 30 years, if you've checked our qualifications. That takes a lot of effort. Doesn't mean that those other things don't happen. But all, they all started with an interview. And then the next day, and then how can I work at a project and then keep going? And we've had one that was, it was almost 40 years. And at the end of 40 years, they said, you know what? I think we're just going to go in another direction. And you know what? That's cool. We hadn't worked with them for a long time. A lot of turnover. And that happens. We get it. It happens. Two more firms. No. Yep. So, um, uh, Ted, just in terms of, is this the team, you know, that you would betcha. be You betcha. You betcha. It will be. And I think that's important as well. And what I mean by that is, uh, I'm not going to send somebody that you don't see here without me or Jason or Steve. Uh, I think that's important that you see the faces that you see all the way through the project. We show all the way boots. from... Dungarees. We show up in boots and dungarees sometimes. On, on occasion. If, you, if you're going to have us come out and do the assessment, right. we'll do that. And yeah. we'll pick a best time for, for yeah. you guys for us to do that. And uh, maybe a Saturday or so, we'll come in and just go into your building. I mean, yeah, we'll, we're here to help you, and we're here, you're going to see these three people. We're not going anywhere. Through construction. Uh, through construction. Yeah. Through closeouts. Close Thank you very much. Thank you for Thank coming. You. Thanks we for coming so late. Yeah. Too. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to leave these with you. I'm going to let you distribute them. Okay. I believe there's 10 or 11 or 12. I may not have enough for everybody, but it's usually how much we bring. But uh, it was very nice meeting Thank you, you all. so much. Thank Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Nice meeting you all. There's chocolate in here, though, guys. I'm so sorry. Keep it concise. We did, we did, in fact, uh, take a half hour, so yeah. that makes sense. I will pass this. We're not supposed to accept gifts, though, but, I mean, well, we're going to give certain dollars. We get to. Chocolate is not gifts, that's a necessity. Oh. Thank you. All of you all. I'm telling you. 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 I'm telling you saw the um, yeah. I did, or I just signed up. I don't think an email went out. That's what they said. Once I talked to them, I have to because I was like, all the whole bar. I was asking a bunch of my friends. Yeah, yeah, take a picture. Oh, did you get one? No. Oh, wait, I get. Didn't have. Nobody got. Oh, Jody? <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you, though. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm good. 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 I'm
Uh, okay, we have a presentation this time. We will keep the same order of questioners. <laughs> so I wanted to um, thank Spiesel Architectural Group, our current firm, as everyone knows, um, to come speak with us tonight and answer questions. So we have Steven Siegel, the principal, Jim Rupka, the project architect, project architect manager, manager sorry, and um, Daniel, I'm not even going to say that, uh, who, who was our, our lead for the uh, Media Conversion Center project. Did a great job. I was like, that's the worst place, guys. Guys, it should be fine. It's just, it's going to warm up. Sorry, Mark. 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 You guys are Wawa. I gotta get my glasses. I think Wawa does fast. Well, it'll go a while. Don't run to Wawa. It's not It's not connecting to his. I gotta do this again. Yeah, I just had it on too, but okay. Two architecture figure out. You put it in. There we go. I just draw it. It just it's, it's patience. It's tired. It's tired like many others. Yeah. Or did the did the bulb burn? I'm sure this doesn't have to be plugged in, right? No, it's, it was just working. So. The, the bulb is not, and I'm a little worried that maybe, it, oh, there we go. It's a little warm up, right? And I may have to, oh, yeah, yeah. those will be around. No, it's in. Yeah. It says it opposite of the screen. Okay. Oh, it's coming up. All right, coming back. Here we go. No signal. As president, you should bring it up for the board. As president, everyone, for everyone. I said that. She said that cable is not here. Two hours later. Can I stand over here so I can? You can. Of course. We're all standing over here. So here. 
All right. Well, thank you for having us tonight. Um, I think a lot of you know us already, but um, uh, Beth just introduced us. I'm Steve Siegel, uh, principal. Uh, Jim is our project manager, and uh, Dan is project architect. Uh, Jill is our interior designer, and Adam is our landscape architect. They're not here with us tonight, but they're part of our team. Um, so most of you may know, but Spiesel's sort of grown from education. Uh, we, we have a lot of school districts. We've been doing it for 65 years, everything from K-12 all the way through the collegiate level. Uh, we're currently about a 75-person firm. Uh, our main office is only about four miles from here in Hamilton. And um, we have uh, 22 lead accredited professionals. We, we do take energy uh, very uh, important. We make sure that we design with energy in mind, just like we did your Sharon edition that got lead certifications, a very efficient building. Um, so we do take that to cart. We've done over a billion dollars of, of projects on time and under budget um, just in the last 10 years alone. This is just a sampling of some of the K-12 clients that we have around the area and around the state. We have over 50 um, architect of record appointments around the state. And I'm going to try to go quickly because I know we're tight and running late. So if I go too quick, feel free to stop me at any time. Uh, just our list of repeat clients. Um, Robbinsville is one of our three that we've been um, clients of for 22 years and some others around the state. So Robbinsville in particular, we, we've obviously built your new high school. We've gone through multiple referendum. Uh, we did multiple additions at the elementary school and middle school, as well as a number of architect of record projects and roofing and, and ESIP project, which was able to bring $5 million worth of work to the district at no cost to the taxpayers. Uh, being creative in the types of projects we look for, I know the budget's always been tight over the years, and we've been you know, working on different ways to try to keep things under budget and do things without increasing taxes. So that was one that was a success that was done. We're actually in a phase two of the ESIP now. Um, in total, we've done over 30 projects with the district and spent done over $70 million worth of construction. Each project coming in under budget with lower than industry standards for change orders. Most of the change orders that we did on all these projects were additional scope that the district was able to do because we came in under budget. Um, so we've had pretty good success with all the projects that we've gone through with this district. The same goes for other districts. Um, so I'll quickly flip through these. I will leave a handout behind that you can look through later. These are just some other districts and some of the work that we've done around the state and other types of projects that we've worked on. The architect of record process. So this is something that um, we take seriously. Uh, we find it's very important to have proper planning. Throughout our 22 years here in Robbinsville, we've met with a lot of different business administrators, superintendents, uh, facilities uh, managers throughout the years to try to bring them up to speed as people change through the district, what we've done, what we're doing, where we stand. You know, and I'm sure your administration can talk to how often we've met and even met with some of you in, in committee meetings to explain what's happened in the past and what some of the needs are moving forward. Um, we don't charge for those meetings. We find that it's important to work together collaboratively. I know other architects do have set fees for meetings and so forth, or they work off of a retainer. We have not done that, um, not only with this district, with any district. Uh, we find that we're in a partner with them, which is why we have districts that we've been uh, clients of for so many years. Um, we do have flexible fee arrangements. Most of our fees are done on a lump sum fee, so the district knows what they're paying, and it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that we give you the right fee um, and move forward. But there are some smaller projects that we've done throughout the years that 
maybe you, you know, we just charge hourly because it's only going to take a few hours. There's also a lot of projects and a lot of assistance that we provide the district under the AOR that we don't charge for. And a lot of that you may or may not know about. But some of the warranty items, uh, there's a lot of projects that go on as the projects are completed and you run into some warranty questions and who do I contact and how do I contact that and why do we have this issue and why do we have that issue and we're out there helping the district through those warranty projects and, and getting them in touch with the right people to address those, those questions or concerns that come up. And all of that is done just from being an architect of record with that client and no fees for that. Um, we, we do have a very interactive design process. Uh, as the administration can tell you, even with that small project we did, the, the library, we had meetings with them. We had design meetings. We showed materials and samples and, and designs and laid out with them. We also met with the principals to figure out the best solution for that particular project. And coming up with creative ways, like we just did in the high school here, to, to add three potential classrooms without adding on. So I think that's an important way to keep costs down as well. Um, in that particular case, and also at Pond, we were able to capitalize on, on underutilized space in the media centers. One of the things that we've been doing, the media centers in general have been changing in how they're being taught, more flexible spaces, more technology, a lot more maker spaces, um, fabrication labs that are being part of, of the media centers, more lounge type seating, less books and volumes and things like that, and more technology. So this is just an example of Princeton that we redid their, their um, media center. We've, we're doing a couple more now. We've done a few for Hazlitt and Point Pleasant Beach and a number of others. Um, just really making a space that becomes the hub of the community that the students really want to go to. They get works, work projects done after hours instead of, you know, whatever else they're going to go home and watch TV. We're finding a better interest in the students that want to be in those spaces and actually do their projects or work collaboratively with other students. Same thing with uh, STEAM labs, conversion of STEAM labs and finding spaces within your building to better utilize it for your curriculum and your program needs. Um, one of the things that make us a little bit unique, which again, you may or may not know, but we have in-house landscape architecture besides in-house interior design. So we can do everything from the furniture design all the way through landscape and everything outside, uh, turf fields included. Although your turf field we actually didn't do, uh, anything with your turf field, but we can do those. We, we have everything on the landscape side as well. So considering your need, we've worked with the district um, over the last few years in looking at some of the needs, and Jim, if you want to talk a little we've bit about We've done a number of roofing projects over the years. In fact, we're about to commence a new roofing set of projects shortly. Um, we'll continue addressing or assisting the district with, with needs as they arise. LRFP, it's been been five years since the last LRFP was done, and every five years we should be a, a updating that. Coincidentally, the state has just mandated full uh, LRFP amendments, so we can consolidate facility assessment and the LRFP amendments to simultaneously to get the best benefit from it. HVAC upgrades, uh, we're starting to, we've recently started addressing some HVAC issues at some of the schools, and we'll continue doing that as they, the need arises. Site improvements, Discussions have started about uh, replacing some of the sidewalks and plazas around, specifically at the high school, some paving work at Pond and here at the high school. Facade improvements, uh, part of the, one of the roofing projects we're doing is uh, masonry repointing over at Sharon School. And we'll continue to work with those issues as they come to our attention. Right, and we know that, for instance, you have a lot of schools that, although they're technically new, they're actually, <laughs> 
now approaching 15, 20 years old, and it's time to start thinking about maintaining those buildings so that you can keep the longevity of those buildings up. So Pond is one of those situations where the rooftop units, for instance, are all 20 years old, and you're starting to have uh, some concerns and some, some problems. Same thing at the, what used to be the new edition at Sharon, the 2001 edition, um, that's also getting to that age where the mechanical units need to start being addressed and replaced. So we started looking at that. Um, the other thing that we, we had put in the prior uh, um, uh, assessment that we did in 2014 was the uh, EFIS replacement at Sharon, the outside of that EFIS that's actually you know, starting to show its age and, and looking to replace some of that. So I know the biggest concern is budget. You know, how do you get these projects done? And, and so we've been talking about putting money away, which I believe the board's done a good job of, of starting to save some money to start tackling some of these projects. And um, I don't know if it was already awarded or happening later for the roof job at Sharon tonight, and then also the um, actual caulk work and joints at this building were part of that project. So we're starting to tackle some of these projects now that we've been talking about for the last few years. So part of this approach and the word facility assessments we've thrown around here, uh, we've done this with your district, but importantly as your district changes, and even more importantly as your learners change, your students, the way we address your building and assess a district's needs has to change. And in these facilities assessments, we go through, as, as Jim mentioned, you'll go through your district's LRFP, but more importantly, we'll go through with the professionals. We'll sit down with your facilities, your board, your administration, and address whatever needs you need and see what program needs, and that's become a very collaborative and integrative process. And the reason for that is because that's the way your learners are, are growing, all the students are growing, becoming more collaborative. So we'll sit down, we'll take that approach, and we'll work out creative ways. And again, you know, the Media Center products an example. We don't need to add on, we can find space within your building. So we look for creative ways like that that also help the district save money. And we'll take that, we'll develop a budget, we'll have priorities laid out and options. And ESIP uh, product was an example that saves you a little bit of money, and it also gets you forward. And with these spaces, the flexibility and moving to the future is so important. So for an example, upstairs in this, in this building alone, you know, there's no such thing as one-day space at our classroom. We did a bigger space that can change with uh, the way your students learn. So this is all centered around the students, our process, and we have our facilities assessments reflect that for your needs. This is just an example of some of the ESIP and solar projects that we've done around the states. You know, you're familiar with that, obviously. Like we were on second round of ESIP. We actually discussed with Honeywell um, they're getting close to coming up with some solutions for this second phase, and we've been having some dialogue with them and pushing them a little bit more on some of the controls because they've taken care of a couple of the buildings on the last go-around, but you still have some old controls throughout the district where things aren't quite talking to each other, so they're having some difficulties with some of the units talking and controlling it. So we're hoping to get some of that in this new ESIP project, and um, we're actually hoping to meet sometime next week, I think, right? Two weeks. Two weeks. Referendum, um, you know, as you guys are aware, we've had two successful referendums with, with Robbinsville. We actually have a, a statewide 92% uh, historic pass rate. We've been very successful with referendums and helping districts create a project that meets their needs that the taxpayers can understand and get behind and support. Um, it's important that, that that's the case if that's the direction the, di the board or district decides to go in the future, depending on the growth. Uh, Robbinsville has been a very unique district to work with over the last 22 years. The growth has been, you know, unprecedented. It's been, you know, we started here, there was no high school, and, and the students just kept growing and growing, and every demographer's report was, we're going to have this, and the next thing you know, you're doubled what that was, what the growth was. So 
um, you know, we've, we've been through the strategic planning and, and helping the, the district in, in selling those and, un, and informing the public of what the needs are. These are just some, uh, low, some of the clients that, uh, you know, we did give in, in the proposal other examples if you want to make other calls. Obviously, like I said, I think you guys know us fairly well here, but these are some other clients. Um, Lawrence and Hamilton close by in Mercer and Hazlitt, which is an interesting one because Chris Mullins years ago used to be the BA here, and when he left and went to Hazlitt, he actually brought us along. He was so happy with the work that we've been doing, and we've been working with him ever since over in Hazlitt. So, you know, that's a way we grow as well as our clients that are used to us that like working with us and, and can get us, bring us where they go. Um, I tried to go through this fairly quickly, but um, I'll leave it up here if you have any questions uh, about anything I said uh, or any pre-questions that you had already planned to talk about. So I would say we already know who's asking what question, but if, if the question's been answered, we can skip it, um, given the presentation of the problem. So, Fido, I think you were finished. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the first one, they went over the background. And why they're a good fit, that was a nice presentation, so thank you. Um, I guess they talked about some projects that they've completed, so should I go to three, or? Um, yeah, two, I would stick with two, and let them describe okay. a project. For All right, um, describe a recent building project that your firm has completed. Explain your level of involvement from planning to close out. So, project like we just talked about here, or you want something outside of Something outside of Something outside of so um, we, we've done a, a number of projects, but example, one recent one that was an addition we did, we started similarly with facility assessment for this district and evaluated their, their district and what they, their needs are, came up with a plan to help them understand budgets and priorities. We always feel that's a very important first step so that you understand that and what the priorities are so that you're actually going to go out with what projects that are most needed in the district. In that particular case, there was um, probably about $20 million worth of work identified. Uh, they moved forward with about $10 million worth of work, uh, which we then helped them through a referendum process. We were able to get them 33% uh, funding from the state and debt service aid. Uh, that included um, new roofing, pressure <coughs> pointing, windows, um, doors, security upgrades, solar, uh, an addition that included uh, a science and art room and a little collaboratory space for their sort of steam space um, and some uh, hallway that actually rather than just making the hallway similar to what we did here we, we made it large enough to have collaboration space in the hallway and pin up for artwork and so forth so that project you know we were involved from the beginning initial planning of budgeting all the way through referendum and then when we got to design, we had an initial kickoff meeting, we had a schematic design review meeting with the district, we presented that to the board, we then went through the next phase, which is called design development, where we actually picked colors and materials and brought samples. Um, a lot of times we have those meetings in our office because we have samples and things in the office that we have, so that the board and a couple of the district members and the board members came to the office, we present that. So it was very, very collaborative, as Dan mentioned before, all the way through the process, helping them go out to bid, uh, reviewing the bids and came in um, about a half million dollars on the budget on that project. 
and it's currently wrapping up the first phase of construction. The addition should be open in the next few weeks, and the uh, renovation work is finishing up this summer. So um, I was involved personally as a principal all the way from the initial onset of the project uh, through to construction, and then we have our construction manager, we have an in-house construction team that's been handling the construction end of it, but I always keep my finger on the pulse. I've shown up at a couple of construction meetings here and there, as well as Jim, who's the project manager, has also been involved through that whole process and that particular job. So, um, you know, we don't sell, and, and, and as your administrative team can tell you, we don't sell Spiesel or myself, and then you don't hear from me. I'm not just a salesperson. But they know, and they've known for you know 20 years, 20 plus years. If you need me, they call me, and I answer the phone, and, and you know I can come out and help address the situation. So it's not like we just turn it over to uh, young staff and, and lead the activities. And we take that all the way through to closeout. So we'll have weekly uh, bi-weekly construction meetings. We offer other services to go weekly uh, if needed. We go more. And then we take that all the way through, we review submittals, and at the end of the project, we take those warranties, we review everything, pay apps, we review the whole along the way, we turn that over to the, to the district at the end, so you guys have all the information that you need to maintain your, your facility. Yep. Thank you. So the next question, what is the firm's experience with New Jersey K-12 infrastructure projects, i.e. bathroom, drinks, windows, et cetera, for New Jersey K-12 public schools? Yeah, we've, we've done, like we said, it was over a, a billion dollars worth of K-12 work just in the last 10 years alone. And we've done everything, all that what you just mentioned, we've done not only statewide, but with this district as well. We, we've done it all. Uh, we have uh, a specific guy in the office whose responsibility is staying informed with the Department of Education changes. Uh, we actually, at the county meetings, notified all the other VAs about the long-range facility plan that was just implemented, the letter that came out April 24th. I've shared it with Beth and, and other business administrators or other architects were standing around going, really? That's that's a regulation? That's a requirement? Um, so we're, we're on top of all that. And we, like I said, we have a, a person that's responsible just for the Department of Education communications and staying on top of all the changes. So we, we feel that we're a leader in that department and we've been doing it for 65 years. Um, how, how does your firm handle warranty issues? And I realize, you know, you've handled some warranty issues, helping us with some warranty issues, but what, what's your part in that? So if we're your architect at work, um, we will help in any way we can to address the, the, the issues. So, for example, um, you know, we just had a conversation with Brian earlier today, um, looking for some warranties and some information. So we, we went on our archives, we tried to find what we can come up with, because we give everything to the district, but I know there's been changes, obviously, throughout the years. So a lot of things have, have been misplaced and so forth. So um, we don't have all the paper copies, but whatever we did, we scanned, we saved, and we sent over to him. And we, we actually are hoping to meet with the district. We had had conversations about having a meeting to review where we are and what things you need and what current warranty items you're having or issues you're having. Um, and the idea was we were going to wait until Brian got on board, and then we would have a meeting to do that. So the hope is if we're successful, we'll continue to do that and um, meet with him shortly and go through all that. How successful have you been with warranty issues, you know, kind of not for Robinsville, but I mean just in general, how, what's the success rate been for well, getting so, things covered? That Right. So what happens is most times a lot of the warranty items we don't even hear about, to be honest. So a lot of the facilities managers and, and so forth, they call them, they, they deal with it, they're addressing it. When there's a problem and they're not getting the response is usually when they'll reach out to us. 
Um, in, in your particular case, we have been active. Um, you know, there's been some uh, some roof leaks and so forth that we helped the district a number of times. It's been in this building, reach out to the manufacturer, put a little pressure on them to get uh, roofing and get things covered. Um, sometimes you're not successful, but we have been fairly successful getting back. I mean, we got the contractor who did the initial building ten years later to come out and fix some of the, the black box a few years back and. Um, he opened up the walls and he fixed all that and you know, we were able to get him to come back. We got the, the roofing manufacturer who was supposed to come out when the warranty was in its infancy and for whatever reason that, didn't, that fell through the cracks uh, maybe with some of the transitions here. But uh, we brought that back up and five years later got them to honor at least the material cost at no cost to the district and they were able to do that. So um, it, it's not that a lot of districts um, but honestly, tell us enough where we can help. Um, Robbinsville, we've been pretty active, especially recently you know, with the new uh, facilities group coming in and we were trying to help them get some things done. But uh, no, if there's, a, if there's a need and an issue and we can look something up and help make a phone call because we, we work with that manufacturer on other districts and other places and we can help, we will we'll make those calls. And again, all of that warranty work has been free, no cost. Part of our, our, our process at Spies will differ from from some other contracts. We require two years warranty on immediate projects that are complete. Most contracts are one year. We require two from your contractor on a recent complete project. But sometimes problems don't manifest so quickly. Two years comes, hey, Mr. Contractor, come back out, and we're, we stay on top of that, especially when they're within that two-year two period. And we've, we've helped them do that. Yeah, I mean, and it's important that the districts understand their warranties, because if you let that lapse, it's hard to get somebody to come back. Like when we called that contractor 10 years later and said we have an issue, something you installed here, it's not working. Um, you know, we put a little pressure on, he, he came back, you know, and so they don't always do that. So uh, he, he didn't make good on some of that. But it is important that if there are warranty items that you're not getting resolved, that we know about it and we can help in any way we can. Since you took my 20 questions, um, we need an assessment facilities top to bottom. Well, so in the proposal, we gave a fee to update the facility assessment and uh, the long range facility plan. I believe it was like $4,900. Um, we, we have everything for the district, and we've updated your last two long range facility plans. So um, the, the familiarity with buildings and having all the drawings and things like that, we gave a fairly low fee because I feel like we can do it pretty quickly. Um, so if that's something, the best time to do that is over summer when the students are out. Um, then we have free access to walk the buildings. Um, I usually recommend, as we talked about with that process, that we sit down and meet with the group first because uh, especially you have new facilities people, right? So you want to meet with them. What issues are you having that maybe we didn't know about? Right? Maybe there was things that they were just handled before or, or they thought they were handling and they're coming back up that we did not know. So what are those issues? And then we can look deeper when we walk the buildings and, and do that. So I would say if you could make a decision on that, that we would be able to get it done this summer. Secondly, you, you're obviously an advocate of ESIPs. There's been some debate as to whether they're really a smart way to go or not. Some believe we should do it effectively achieve the same savings because it just costs some money for us to manage ESIP. Um, you're thinking on that? Well, so there's, there's three different ways to do an ESIP. Um, one is when you hire an energy service company, NESCO, like a Honeywell. Uh, the other is, is basically the do-it-yourself model. There's, there's another hybrid of the Eskimo, but those are the two main ones. 
And um, doing it the ESCO model, the, the theory is that one, it costs you more because you're paying them a lot, a lot of money, or more money than you would DIY. But the theory is that because of their experience and background, that they can make the project bigger, which pays for their fee. So we're experimenting with that now. I honestly couldn't tell you if that's accurate or not. Uh, we have a couple projects that we did one way and we're doing another way now. And we're going to see how big their project actually becomes based on having the ESCO involved. Um, because, for example, this one particular project, the ESCO is about a half million dollars more money than if you did a DIY. But they're claiming they can do a million dollar more project. So you're getting half a million dollars more worth of work for free. So at the end of the day, you can't do a project. Um, you can either do it yourself with us, you know, your, your architect, and save the money. I guess that would probably be the way you're talking about Correct. In this particular case, and we've done it both ways, so I'm not necessarily a fan of doing it with an ESCO versus a DIY. Each district's different. The first go-around, I think you guys, you know, made out pretty good with um, $5 million worth of work. Um, you know, so I think that probably paid for itself, but the fees were a little bit more money then, actually. When we gave back, we helped the district negotiate these lower fees that are here now. So again, that was something we did for the district to try to get those fees lowered um, the second time around and make it work. But it is going to be a smaller project, so this smaller one, you know, I didn't necessarily recommend the ESCO model this time around, but um, you know, uh, they are familiar with the buildings and they do have a vested interest in trying to get controls to work here they're a control company, so if they get your controls fixed and upgrade your lighting by doing that to the LEDs now, that might be all you get, but that's a big thing. If and and Rich, talk. I think what maybe is missing here is the whether to do an ESCO or whether to fund it locally. And funding it locally is usually going to referendum. So I think that's maybe well, what do, we're not looking at. Yeah, there's two ways to do the ESIP where you, you don't have to go to the taxpayer. That's to do it yourself, which we would do it with you right. and hire an independent audit. And then there's the ESCO model. If you do it with a referendum, there's going to be a tax impact unless you have debt falling on it. Because no matter how you do it, you're going to have Which is why we did the ESIP to do it. Right. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. And that's with BPU regulations. It allows you to fund it for 15 years without a, a referendum right. because you're paying for it. So that's the only way to do that. Right. Yep. Uh, What's the firm's experience with green or sustainable design? So, and, and we touched on that briefly. We do, um, you know, hold our standards high for our employees to become LEED certified and uh, LEED accredited. And uh, like I said, we have over 22 accredited professionals now. Um, we design everything to LEED standards. So whether the district says they want to go for it and, and go for the LEED certification, as they did for Sharon, which does have a LEED certification, uh, we design that way anyway because it's a smart way to design. The building's very efficient. The walls on that building are, are extremely high R value. The rooftop units in that, that building were able to be reduced because of the insulation value of the building. So uh, we hold it, we, we, we design very strongly towards green. And then we did the green roof up there, you did solar panels, which hopefully they're incorporating into the curriculum. and you know, actually having the students learn a little bit about what the green roof does and how it benefits you and how the solar benefits, how it produces. Um, so we're big advocates of that uh, and we support that. And there's also been over the years questions that have come up. Uh, Robbinsville is a sustainable, uh, part of Sustainable Jersey and we've provided information and documentation for clean building products and helping that transition when that happened um, to, uh, to the district to get those points as well. Smart start rebates. Smart start rebates and everything. Yeah. We already touched on long-range facilities plans. Um, 
The Board of Education may in the case require the firm selected to represent the district to make presentations. Please describe the firm's availability of such representation. Presentations for the public just about like projects yeah so um, yeah so so the other thing is we don't charge for meetings um, so if you and we've we've done this throughout the, the years but uh, if, if the district wants us to come every month to a board meeting and give an update on where we are with a project which we actually did while the construction was happening at Sharon and at the high school um, no charge we'll do that we'll provide presentations and give updates whatever level it is the same thing if they want to have uh, committee meeting, you know, you want to talk about the facilities and have a small private group to talk about what we found and what we're finding or what your concerns are. Uh, absolutely, as often and I'll come every month if you want. Thank you. Okay. Oh, Has the firm ever been released or terminated during um, its involvement from a project prior to completion? If so, please explain the circumstances. I honestly can't think of any time we've been terminated from the project. Um, I mean, we've gone through districts where obviously uh, things change and we're not reappointed, but we've never gone through. I've never gone through that. Uh, from, you know, I think that's my problem. Any other questions? I do like, we know you the best in the group, so um, I don't know if Tim has any more questions. Thank you for this late right, hour. Thank you. Yeah. I'll yeah. hand out the um, copies so you okay. can thank that. you so much. Look through at your leisure. Thank you. Yeah. Yep, went down exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Unless you think you want it. If you even want to email it, um, then I can email. If you want to email it to me, then I can just email it. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Even the audience. Oh, the audience. The chocolate never made it all the way around. I had it. All right, thanks again. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, you're really Thank you. 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 Thank yeah, they're coming. It is really, we kind of signed up for us. They didn't, so. But they're voluntarily in the community, but we're forced to stay. Yes. Prisoners, in your own time. Yes, we're tied. It's almost 10 o'clock, and I know, I saw that. I'm so glad. I really was thinking, like, if I was going to die, I really didn't want to die before you. It was just not the place I wanted to go. It's the worst way to go. It's the worst way to go. In the middle of an architect, you know. You're in the middle of an architect review. Yeah, I'll post that. I'm building this building. Yes. Good point. I'll take it. Yeah. I wonder, they're like, forget it. This is how they're going to operate now. <laughs>
I didn't Beth have it. I think it's in one of those well well yeah. We'll look at discussion. Okay, they don't need it. Okay. Who's still open? I just told you Taco Bell. Taco Bell. And Wendy's. No, Wendy's still open. Who's the other guy? Oh, yeah, Wawa. So, I wanted to introduce SSP Architects. Thank you so much. We're a little behind. Sorry. We just saw her happening. You gotta be able to keep up. We have, we have Marcus, who's the principal of the company, and Tammy, who is an associate, and I welcome you and thank you. The board is going to, you know, introduce yourselves and what your company does and, you know, what your process is, and the board has a series of questions they're going to ask as well. Yeah, we'll try to keep it short and sweet, but uh, basically, as you said, Marcus and Tammy, SSB Architects, and um, basically, we would be the head of the team that, you would, that would be assigned to you. You know, we would be, you know, one part of the Robbinsville team, you know, and... Um, you know, SSP has been around since 1891. We're the oldest company in the state of New Jersey, architectural company in the state of New Jersey. But uh, if there's one thing that we want you to remember about us today, it is that um, kind of kind of be summed up in the way that we deliver our services and the you know the way that we provide services to school boards is this idea of a design for the real world, right? And to us and for you, that would mean that one. You know, responsiveness is key. You know, we live in a fast-paced world. You know, a lot of people, you know, need, contractors need answers. You need answers. You want to be able to pick up the phone and, you know, just be able to reach your architect pretty quickly and ask questions. And we want to be part of the conversation to help you kind of guide you through the different facilities issues that you might have over the years, right? Mm -hmm. So to us, you know, responsiveness is key. And a lot of times that comes in with the contractors as well. Um, Design for the real world to us also means that we're helping you keep an eye on your, your bottom line, you know, the, the money aspect of everything. So we know that budgets are tough these days, especially in public schools. Uh, there's a lot to balance, a lot of competing priorities, right? And so, you know, from a facility standpoint, when you do have money, you want to make sure that it is spent wisely, right? So that means, you know, budgeting properly, planning things properly <clears throat> over the years. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, making sure that when drawings do go out, that, you know, they're clear and it kind of minimizes the, the risk of change orders you know, and questions that come up in the field, which inevitably, inevitably just slows things down. So. And then I'd say the third thing, you know, this idea of design for the real world means to us is that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we are delivering, you know, a product to you. You know, it's, you know, whether it's, you know, um, you know, a, a design for a media center or, you know, some kind of upgrades or, you know, something that's, you know, durable and easy to maintain, you know, making sure that we're dealing with systems and materials that 
are going to last for a while, right? And not just quick and easy and down and dirty and cheap and, hey, let's get it done. We, you don't have money to waste on things doing it repeatedly, so we want to make sure that the drawings are, and, and the products are, are good for a long period of time. Um, means, you know, this idea of technical delivery also means, you know, safe and secure schools, right? It means sustainable schools that, at the end of the day, help students perform better, help you know, teachers perform better. It actually can improve your attendance rates, test scores, everything like that. So to us, you know, there's a whole aspect of doing things on a technical basis that is really critical. So with that, I know it's going to be a long night, I'll <laughs> just turn it right over to questions for you. If um, yeah, I just wanted to say that you we bring to the table a deep bench of talent from our office, but what we also understand is the project team is beyond what we bring to you, beyond your group as well. There are other members of the team which are local officials, the local building department, the state at times, review agencies that all have a say in the project. They're key in communication, keeping them involved, letting them know, keeping them a part of the project from the start because the last thing you want to do is hit somebody with something the last minute and get stopped by surprise and then your schedule goes out the window and that's nothing that anybody wants to manage. So one of the things as a project manager that I do is, is reach out to all of those authorities and understand what's, what's being expected. You know, we, we know on a project basic what's expected, but town to town everybody expects something a little bit different. It's so much easier for us to just pick up the phone and say, this is what we're doing, this is what we want to do, is this how you want it, you want anything special, we're good with that, and get them included from day one because it's just so much easier in the process and the approvals if we do it that way. So the team goes beyond what we can bring to you and, and we understand that. Call Tammy the code official whisperer. She, <laughs> she, she tends to just strike up a good relationship and it makes things so much smoother. Can you describe a recent building project that your firm's completed? Could you explain your level of involvement from planning to close out? Okay. You want to talk Claremont? Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> there we go. Uh, so we passed a referendum in Franklin Township, Somerset County. And uh, that part of that referendum was for a brand new elementary school. Uh, we did a 131,000 square foot building. Elementary school, we are still on target for lead gold design. Uh, that was designed, that was one of their goals, was to get lead. I, I think we were originally tasked with silver, brought it up to the next level. Um, we're still fi finishing up the paperwork on that. Uh, we finished under budget, on time, tight schedule, and the CO showed up right before the school buses did. But we were in thanks to that relationship with the town. Yeah. We were in contact with the building department through the whole process. Um, I actually was aware of. I was aware of when they failed an inspection before the contractor was aware aware that they failed the inspection because I was getting phone calls on myself uh, directly from the inspectors. 
but that project we did design, uh, when we did the design, we had a committee from the, from the school, administrators, teachers. We understood what they wanted out of the school. It was a heavy and special needs. Uh, we upgraded some of the key items. We had upgraded uh, thermal envelope sunscreens, daylighting, all of that let us downsize the mechanical system so we were able to save money on the mechanical system because we spent money on the extra insulation and the building envelope. Uh, Which translates to lower energy costs and operating costs over time. So not only was it cheaper to install, cheaper to operate. So. So, so the thought of green being a more expensive technology, if you're, if you're buying parts and pieces, it is, but the way that we look at it is a full system of, it's everything integrated together, so we look at it together. Uh, that was a great project. We actually worked with the county. We were, the county was very involved. We were on the county road, frontage, all the utility companies, uh, a lot of stormwater management, DEP, there was a whole host of, of people involved, but again, um, hooray, great flags, under budget, very large school, still on target for lead gold. So that was a, a huge success. And, and we continue to do projects with them, small little renovations and additions, capital projects. They're actually just, they're buying a, an old... Uh, Titles got signed today. Old, old convent <laughs> location that they're turning into their board offices and a community center and stuff like that. And, just, you know, exciting little project in town to work with. Him. Okay. If Scott goes and everybody stays with the same questions, does that matter? Doesn't matter. Uh, number three is what is the firm's experience with New Jersey K through 12 infrastructure infrastructure projects, including bathrooms, roofs, windows, etc., for New Jersey K 12 public schools? Well, that's. 70 years? 70 years at least of doing, you know, K-12 work. I mean, that's the core of our business. And, you know, yeah, we can talk about new schools and green design and everything, but, you know, the bread and butter of what we do is, you know, roofing replacements. It's, you know, toilet room renovations, mechanical replacement, you know, mechanical unit upgrades, you know, you know, taking the old unit ventilators from classrooms and, and dealing with every aspect that comes along with that replacement whether it's the ceilings, the structure, the asbestos, you know, the mechanical, the electrical systems, you know, any number of things that come along with it. Um, we're used to dealing with the low bid contractors, you know, and making sure that the drawings are clear, that we've accounted for all the work, and, uh, yeah. And, and getting contractors to bid the jobs. There are contractors that you get to know over the years that that get familiar with your drawings and it's the phone calls once those documents are out and the advertisement is out to let them know that we've got projects out on the street. Um, they're open to anybody to bid but there are certain contractors that will continue to bid our work and, and we have good standing relationships with them. As an architect of record you get to know your buildings, you get to know your clients buildings, understand and, and be part of the resource to pick up the phone and say this isn't working well, can we walk through, can we start planning for the next couple of years, because those capital maintenance projects are always going to be in front of you. And we're used to dealing with, you know, different ways of doing those projects too, you know, whether it's the smart start, you know, the pay for performance, you know, the kind of the direct install, kind of the BPU rebate programs, right, that allow you to do certain things, or, you know, even if it goes as far as an ESIP, you know, we've done 
Well, you're doing the ESIFs now, and you know we're we're used to doing those as well. In all variation, in all forms of it, you know, hybrid, ASCO, you know, do it yourself, you know, all of those. Thank you. Um, how does the firm handle warranty issues um, as they arrive for the clients, and and like how successful have you been with all that? In terms of making when getting, there's a, when there's an issue. Oh, so if the project is under warranty or a system is under yeah. warranty and something comes up that needs to be addressed, right? Yes. Okay. You want to take that? Sure. Um, during closeouts, we actually work with the contractor. The contractor is responsible for putting the package together, the uh, operations and maintenance manual, manuals, as well as all of the warranties. As part of the closeout process, we actually put together a, a comprehensive list of what's required out of the specifications. So it's a checklist that the contractor can work off of, but we also work off internally to make sure that when we hand you over, depending on the project size, the big package of binders, it's all inclusive. So you have all your warranties, you have all your phone numbers. I'm sorry, I have a bug flying in front of my face. So uh, our clients will call us up and say, we're having a problem with this. Um, usually you have a one year warranty with the contractor. We'll make that phone call for you and, and Sometimes there, sometimes you get a good contractor that responds immediately, and sometimes they need to be chased down. Um, and, and we'll do that. We've been in this industry long enough. We know all these contractors that there. Sometimes there's a, a little more weight that we can push around on the contractor. Sometimes the leverage becomes calling the manufacturer who's holding that warranty. You know, the bonding right. agency. Yeah, if you're dealing with you know if you're dealing with a 25, 30 year warranty on a roof, you know you're three years in and something happens. You know the contractor's not responsive or as we've had in one case, you know, actually go out of business. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to call the, the manufacturer directly, and they, you know, they're responsible for getting somebody in. And if it's equipment too, we we do have uh, some some leverage because we're specifying equipment on a regular basis that our reps can help us as well on an equipment side if we need assistance on that. Okay, thank you. Rich. We need a facilities assessment. Okay. Very comprehensive. How long would it take you to do it? Uh, all part price. Yep. Um, well, we figured that the actual basic baseline assessment would be part of the long-range facility plan process that we actually proposed on. So you know the the price that's in the proposal would actually include us walking around the building, um, you know, learning what's going on, hearing what the issues are, meeting with the custodians. Okay, where where do we have issues? Meeting with the principals. You know, what what issues are you having? And then it, kind of using our own eyes and professional kind of input and saying, okay, well, this is, this is nearing at the end of its useful life. You see that this is having problems, you know. So that kind of basic level of assessment and prioritization is within that price that you see. Okay. Um, and, and, and just understand, we, we cover everything from, you know, the shell of the building, the roof. You know, we would want to walk the roof. Um, it's not a highly detailed assessment of the you know electrical systems mechanical but I mean we would have with the with that basic walkthrough have a have a really good handle of what the issues are and then prioritize them and with you well yeah right with with the district right. come sure. come up with our recommendations and then what your priorities are because it does work with your educational and, and some of the things so the prioritization we'd have to do together and then briefly are you fans of ESIPs or not 
We've done a lot of them. We are actually. I mean, it, we're a fan of the hybrid model, um, you know, because that that allows you to maintain a little bit more control over how things are done and um, and implemented in what projects and stuff like that. It's proven to be a good funding source for you. You know, so some districts are using it as an energy efficiency, but what we're seeing from most of our clients when we're doing the ESUPs, they're actually using the ESUP as the funding source, so they're taking that energy savings and really maximizing the work that they can do within that 15-year payback period. So uh, we are actually working with one district on round two, similar to what you're doing, of an ESIP. They have five buildings. We did two in the first round, and we're doing three in the round that we're currently out for uh, an ESCO RFP. Thank you. And similar to that, you know, solar. You know, we're certainly fans of the solar kind of EPA product. Just looking at your roofs, it looks like, depending on the age, it's hard to tell the age, but you know, certainly some possibilities for some solar as well. Thanks. Yep. I, I guess that feeds into my question, which is, awesome. what's your experience with green or sustainable design? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tammy touched on it a little bit, but we certainly have have been kind of at the forefront of that. You know, ten years ago we had you know the first lead, public lead platinum building. You know, in terms of just really kind of digging in and understanding and trying to define what sustainability and green means in a public school. Right? You know, that a lot, a lot of people seem to think that it's going to cost money. You know, you add solar panels, you add energy efficient units, you know, you have extra windows, but you know, if you take it kind of in an integrative way and kind of understand that, hey, if you're going to pay for more windows, pay for more, more insulation, guess what? You can downsize the mechanical system. Guess what? If you put daylighting controls on so your lights go out when the sun is out, guess what? You don't need as much mechanical system, right? So kind of take that integrative approach, and you know, we certainly do that. So, I mean, we, we have probably two, three K-12 projects outside of the SDA. We have four, you know, state-run school projects that are lead, you know, on track to be lead certified. A couple higher ed projects, and, you know, whether it's lead or not, we're still pursuing, you know, the, the best practices of green, you know. We're, you know, trying to get clients to think green cleaning, you know. It's not just about the building and the, pro you know, the products that go into construction. It's how you're maintaining it, right? And, thinking about occupancy and setbacks and operations. And using the building as an educational tool. Right. Really using it to teach. Uh, we do a, a number of the VOTEX, so using that as part of the STEM curriculum and elements where the students can see how the building works and what goes into it um, has really been key in some of the designs. Okay. Um, what is the firm's experience with the New Jersey Department of Education Law Range Facilities? Oh, well, Gene Parentoni, our CEO, started doing facility planning and master planning 30 years ago and kind of did the first long-range facility plan in Vineland a while back. And I don't, I don't want to take blame or credit for necessarily the DOE's version of a long-range facility plan, you know, we, that software or that software that it is, but we, we have quite a bit of experience with it. Um, right now, we are doing planning a referendum for a district that has 17 schools. Um, they hadn't updated their long-range plan in a while, so it was a matter of 
that detailed data entry of making sure all the rooms align with you know what was really happening and what's happening with the referendum. So um, if you really want to whiz on, uh, on long-range facility plans and the software, that's you know Scott and Gene for sure. K-12 is the core of our business, yeah. and and the relationships are are there. The phone calls are down to the OE whenever we. The some of the reviewers are to the point where you know they. They refer districts to Scott because you know he, he knows how to put these things together. He gets it through the first time. You know we it's rare that you get the recommendation from a state official. You know that's the kind of stuff we're getting from DOE. So um, yeah, we just can't wait until they update the system. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Board of um, Education may on occasion require the firm selected to represent the district to make presentations. Please describe your availability for such presentations. We're here whenever you need us, I guess is a simple answer. Yeah, but you know, yeah, I mean we've whether it's planning boards, uh, zoning boards, city councils, um, board meetings, board meetings themselves. Board meetings. You know, we we do attend monthly board meetings just to give updates. You know, um, whether whether it's a facilities committee or the full board. I mean, you're going down to full board meetings. You know, um, we've certainly made you know, PTA presentations. You know, if you're trying to you know, sell. You know, a project or some feature, or you know, if it's a referendum, you know, PTAs, you know, you know, coffee, coffee clutches at people's houses. You know, we've done all of those um, just to help. A lot of times, we find that you know, the architect can kind of give that objective view that sometimes you know, board members don't always have. You know, you're often accused of being swaying, trying to sway it one way or another. And we, we try to be that objective voice. State level, you know, the DCA, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Renders. Okay. What's your fee for those per visit for those presentations? Um, I think the proposal said it's specifically board meetings. So the board meetings we don't really charge for. That's part of our AOR service. But you know, if you're dealing with you know different project presentations and you know different agencies or councils, um, yeah. We're either giving you a price for a project because you know what it is and we kind of can plan for it, or it just kind of goes by the hourly rates that we have in our. They come 165 or 145 to give you some specific numbers. Okay. <clears throat> Has Hazard has your firm ever been released or terminated during its involvement from a project prior to completion? And if so, could you explain the circumstances, including the name, location, and the date of release? So the only one I can think of is um, Plumstead actually years ago, this goes back 15 years ago, did not continue our services into construction administration, but other than that, we have not been terminated from a contract. No. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so there have been studies that studies have been done to show that when you do when you have a building that has good in, indoor environmental quality, and that by that I mean good daylighting and good air quality um, and good acoustics as well. So you know, kind of those three things. When you have those three things working for you, mm -hmm. reading scores go up 
can go up by 25%. Math, math, math scores closer to 30%. Attendance rates improve. You know, you don't have as many sick days. You know, kids aren't calling out in the evening. And teachers. And teachers, staff are not calling out as frequently. So uh, from, that from that regard, when, you're, when you properly do that indoor environmental quality, good daylighting and air, you know, that's really key. You've actually, you actually perform better. They have the new certification for that now, too, the well certification. Right. So in addition to LEED certification for the full building, they have well uh, certification, which is for more of the, the comfort inside the building as well. So that's come in the last couple of years. Is there a specific study you're referring to? I can get that information to you. I don't remember it, but yeah, we can follow up with that. I guess, I guess Would we'll that be part of the, like, let's say we did a plan, would that include that? <coughs> In terms of if we were looking to measure our lighting, air quality, things like that, or would that be something different? That would be something different from above what we've already proposed on, you know. But uh, certainly something we could provide. Yeah. Interesting. So just, um, I mean, it, it translates into offices too. So you know, right. you go into your offices, you know, well daylight spaces just you know are a lot better. You know, if you're if you're cold all the time, you, the air conditioning doesn't work or it works too well. It, then, then you're, you're sitting there for you're just not as productive, right? You know, um, you get dust building up all the time because you know you, you just don't have the air exchanges. You're coughing a lot. You're calling out. You have allergies. You know, it, it works across the board. But I, I do find that whole thing fascinating about you know 25 percent improvement on test scores. You know, that's something that you know as a school district, you can really possibly tout. You know? So just, you know, everything you know about uh, Robbinsville as you've done your research, why do you guys think you're a fit for us? Well, because, you know, we, we certainly like to help districts, you know, through their challenges of kind of dealing with and trying to balance, you know, facility issues and kind of also seeing them from what we understand, you know, you're dealing with some enrollment, potential enrollment yeah. growth, right? Um, one of the key things that we do, too, and love to do is developing a master plan you know, for a district, right? You know, kind of going back to Jean Parentoni and what she's been doing over the last 30 years and, you know, what she's been doing in, in that aforementioned district with 17 schools, right? Planning a referendum. I mean, coming up with the big picture is what we love to do. You know, just, you know, is it an educational, is it an, enroll, an enrollment issue? It, are there educational things that you want to try to implement, you know? You know, seeing the, seeing the trend towards, you know, STEM and STEAM and, you know, just the vocational aspects, you know, vocational trades are becoming more and more important again, you know, in terms of alternate education, right? It's not all about science and math and English, you know. So trying to figure out, you know, the enrollment and, and, the, and the educational programs and just kind of where are you going and helping you define that big picture really excites us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for having us. Thank you. Did you figure out if Wawa delivers? Door, I don't do DoorDash. DoorDash. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that y'all in the audience know what's happening now, we're going to go back into executive session. Select an architect and then we'll come back. You are leaving or you are leaving? <laughs> <laughs> you're leaving. Just check in. Yeah. Um, <laughs>